0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast, our last show of 2021. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Uh, This is our year-end blowout and a special celebratory gathering of nine screenwriters on this year's recently released 2021 annual blacklist and their three literary managers, all representing Bellevue Productions. Uh, Please join me in welcoming and congratulating uh, lit managers and producers uh, from Bellevue, uh, Kate Sharp, Zach Zucker, and the man himself, John Zauzerny. Uh, and we've got nine or actually right now eight but we're expecting a ninth uh, Brian T. Arnold writer screenwriter of In the End uh, on the blacklist um, we also have Sophia Lopez writer of A Hufflepuff Love Story which I'm actually super interested in uh, getting more information on uh, Lindsay I'm sorry your last name Michelle uh, the screenwriter of Sandpiper it's uh, Michael Michael Lindsay yep. Michael perfect um, uh, Alex Sirio the writer of Black Pill Uh, Jessica Welsh, writer of Shania, with an exclamation point. Uh, Chris Wu, writer of Mr. Benny Hanna. And William Yu, writer of It Was You. Uh, And Daniel Jackson, writer of the number one script on this year's Blacklist Cauliflower. So we're going to get into it with all of you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Let's see if I can do a big gallery view of everybody here. So happy holidays, everyone, especially you, Brian. And Alex, <laughs> your puppy who was here a minute ago, but now has since departed. Oh, no, still there. She, there we Where's go. There's the ninth
1: screenwriter you've
0: located. Right. Um, so before we get started, um, I wanted to go just do a quick sort of round table, or round <laughs> robin, I should say, and we'll go through. Um, we'll get to questions from John, Zach, and Kate, or two questions for them uh, shortly. But I wanted to to congratulate all of the writers here uh, on your achievement on writing such great scripts and getting such great accolades and hopefully you'll all be in production right very soon because the blacklist is the best unproduced scripts or instead of unproduced it's yet to be produced scripts right Um, so I think what we'll do is um, if anyone has questions for any of our writers or lit managers feel free to drop them in uh, the chat, and we will get to them as soon as we can. But what I wanted to do first is start to is go through and uh, talk, speak to each of the writers, and and talk about your individual screenplays, how they sort of came about, what inspired you to write them, and stuff like that. So, in alphabetical order, uh, Mr. Brian T. Arnold, screenwriter of In the End, uh, uh, the logline is. In the near future, terminal patients are given the opportunity to go out with a bang with personalized VR perfect endings. But when the best transition specialist gets far too close to a patient, he finds himself questioning everything in his life. And Brian's represented by Kate and John and also APA. So, Brian, uh, in the end, tell us a little bit about in
2: the end, if you would. Yeah, yeah it's a dark comedy it's sort of kind of in the vein of like eternal sunshine or her it's sort of a um it's it's very personal in a lot of ways it's you know very much based on you know I'm, i think like a lot of people um especially writers like you get kind of obsessed with um endings you know try how do you end a story exactly the right way and then as somebody who's also just uh, just a thoroughly anxious person, uh, I think about that as sort of, you know, life, you know, trying to like, how would you end your life in the best way? Like if your story could end, what is the perfect way that that could happen? And it sort of came from, um, you know, growing up, uh, actually my, um, uh, my dad had a heart attack when I was in high school, ended up fine, thankfully. But, you know, after it was over, my dad has a very dark sense of humor. He would be like, that is not how I want to go out. You know, like when I do die, like, here's how I want it to like go down. And we'd have like a lot of, you know, running jokes about like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. When I die, I want this to happen. I want it to be like this kind of crazy. So it took me a little while to kind of find like the right story to put that into and how to tell that story. But it, um, yeah. It was a lot of fun to write. It's very, it's a, you know, a dark weird little comedy and I'm very glad people seem to seem to like it. Now this is, uh, how many scripts have you written before, uh, in the end? Um, uh, f- quite a few. I mean, the first thing I ever wrote, I was, uh, 14 or 15 and I tried to write X-Men two And, oh. uh, <laughs> printed, I wrote it out, mailed it to Fox, never heard anything back. It was, uh, I still feel a little hurt by that, Um, but you know, they it worked out for them. I think Um, so. I've written for a long time, so I would say, like, I would say I have like a good two or three features that I'd show people, but Mm -hmm. I've written a lot more than that. And then actually, like when I moved to LA, I really focused. I did a lot of improv comedy and sketch comedy. So for the last several years, a lot of my writing output was just I couldn't even tell you how many sketches. (laughs) So that was kind of a, a big part of my background. Interesting. Cool um
0: so let's see we're, we'll come back to you and we're going to go through and introduce everybody's scripts to, to kind of give everyone an idea of all of your guys's stories and, and and things like that and then we'll go individual individually back again with additional questions here um so let's see here um Sophia, uh a hufflepuff, a hufflepuff love story. Uh, unpopular Hogwarts student Finn blames everything bad in his life on being sorted into Hufflepuff rather than Gryffindor with Harry Potter and the Cool Kids. So when he discovers a chance to go back in time and fix that, he takes it only to discover things aren't quite as simple as he'd imagined. So uh, can you tell us, Sophia, a little bit about uh, a Hufflepuff love story? How did that come, come to fruition? Where did you come up with this idea?
3: Well... I'm obsessed with Harry Potter. Like, I saw Prisoner of Azkaban in theaters, like, three times. Mm -hmm. And my sister is still scarred from it because I was forced to take my sister with me wherever I would go. And she had to come to the theater see Prisoner of Azkaban three times. So she was, like, six years old. And she's still, like, horrified by Voldemort to this day. Yeah, so I'm, like, a Harry Potter nerd. And so John came to me and was, like, Harry Potter, Hufflepuff kid, you know, is not popular. And we kind of came up with this idea together. And we were working on it and just riffing on it. And I was just like, Harry Potter, Santa Moore. we have to run with this. And we just had a really good time working on it. Um, I don't know, I just kind of was struck by the idea of, you know, in high school, there's like the jocks, the cool kids, the brainiacs, and kind of like the the losers, which like mm-hmm. for better, lack of better term, you know, in the high school movie. And so it's like, obviously the jocks, the Gryffindors, cool kids are Slytherins, brainiacs, Ravenclaws, everyone else is Hufflepuff. And I'm personally a Hufflepuff. So I felt like I could really relate to it. <laughs>
0: And so
3: obviously with a
0: story like a Hufflepuff love story based on an existing IP, and I know John is sort of, uh, I don't want to say into stunt scripts, but he's not afraid of it. He doesn't shy away from things that can't necessarily or would have a hard time uh, getting made on their own. What was your take on this when he came to you and said, or you pitched the idea of a Hufflepuff love story, and, and and John, you can chime in if you want, where you know that this is really about coming up with just a really interesting story, regardless of the IP, not expecting necessarily to get a spec sale out of it, but to instead to attract a lot of attention and hopefully uh, get you know, a writing gig el- otherwise, or, you know, at least attention on you as a writer in your career?
3: Um, yeah, honestly, like for me, I was just like, I had just written a period piece that was really emotionally heavy. And it had been like two years of like intense, emotional, like, you know, interest in this one story. And it was really kind of devastating. It was, um, you know, in the 1950s, blacklisting sort of situation, research heavy. Bad such- blacklisting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not the good blacklist, like this script, like, you know, uh HUAC kind of situation. So anyways, it was really intense and it was just really fun to be able to go do something, Harry Potter rom-com, you know, you're a teenager and everything feels like it's the end of the world emotionally, even if it isn't, or if it literally is like in this script, he literally does ruin the whole world. So I don't know. It's just like a really fun change of pace. And I guess I wasn't as much focused on like, um, like, I don't know, I trust John with all the business side of things. I was just like, I love writing this. I think it's really fun. And it was honestly just a really, he also wrote life.
1: it super fast. You wrote it in like,
3: two yeah, it was like three weeks. It was wow. Like,
1: yeah,
3: it was like a three week uh, thing. And, but I just loved it so much. I just had the best time of my life writing it, honestly. So, um, that was more what I was focused on. I was like, John, I defer to you, whatever you think, like, you know, i just want to have fun and write my fanfic.
0: Uh, well, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Brian. Then, if you wrote that in three weeks, how many scripts have you written, screenplays, completed?
3: Um, maybe like, well, I do TV too, so I guess like that, pilots and features. Maybe mm-hmm. like in my entire life, like including the bad ones, because I have some really bad scripts. Oh that, sure, you know,
2: that's part of probably it, right? Like,
3: um, you know, when I was in college, like totally maybe twenty or wow. plus. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to really say because I feel like I just was. Ever since I was like a teenager, I was, you know, writing and they weren't super good and they evolved and they got better and better. But um, I don't know, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't think I'd reach like 10,000 hours, but somewhere close to there, if you include movie watching. Yeah, no, that's great.
0: Um, And you're represented by John and Verve. Um, So let's see. uh, Next on our list, um, Lindsay Michael, the writer of Sandpiper, who is represented by Kate and WME. Um, So Lindsay, uh, Sandpiper is, the logline, still reeling in the wake of her husband's death, master thief Viola Cryer signs on to a risky last-minute job set to take place inside a man-made time loop. But as the number of loops increases, the job begins to spiral out of control. Uh, So Lindsay, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, uh, Sandpiper came to be?
4: Yeah, well, it's not like a a very emotional story. Um, I'm a big fan of like all sorts of heist movies. I've seen Ocean's Eleven more times than is Strictly Healthy. Um, Kate came to me with the idea to do a female-led heist film, Mm -hmm. which uh, I was excited about because I feel like a lot of times if you end up with an all-female cast, it feels very gimmicky. Mm. And so I wanted an opportunity to try and uh, do a, a female heist script that wasn't gimmicky. And um, also, I'm always looking to add a sci-fi element. So that's where the time loop comes in.
0: And I know that scripts that deal with time travel tend to be very popular, but they also tend to be uh, challenging dealing with all the time travel aspects and keeping it consistent and all that kind of thing. Uh, were there any specific... Uh, angles that you took that were different than other time travel movies or any specific challenges you faced writing time travel, keeping it consistent and, and sort of grounded and and, and uh, feeling fresh, but also feeling uh, uh, realistic?
4: Yeah. Well, I think the the trick with time travel, and I'm definitely not the first person to say this, mm-hmm. is to like keep it extremely simple. And the more you try to explain it, the less sense it makes. So you just have to walk a very fine line of... Um, saying enough to make your your premise believable, but not saying too much that it starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So I think like Edge of Tomorrow was definitely a comp for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And how many scripts have you written before uh, this one? Um, for I'd
4: say probably like 10 or 12. Not okay. as many as <laughs> the prolific uh, Sophia.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and how long did it take you to write Sandpiper? Did you write it in 3 weeks?
4: Um the first draft maybe, but oh, wow. uh still impressive. Not after that, yeah.
0: Um okay. Uh next up is Alex Sirio. Hopefully play pronounce your name right. Alex, you can correct me if I was if I'm incorrect in that. Writer of Black Pill. And Blackpill, the logline is, uh, Awkward and lonely, Jared is only able to find a community online until the day he realizes that his favorite YouTuber lives nearby. Desperate for connection, he becomes determined to find a way into her life, whether she wants it or not. Uh, and Alex is represented by Bellevue, uh, John, and Zach, and Verve. Um, so, uh, Alex... Tell us a little bit about Blackpill and and how Blackpill came to be.
5: Um. So I'm a I'm a media person mm-hmm. and uh, this. Sorry, I have a hairless cat that I'm watching. That's not mine. That is very needy cat? and and it's very cold because uh. it's cold in New York and it just wants to be on my lap. But it's biting me, so
6: I'm <laughs> a little distracted. <laughs>
5: It's like uh, Dr. Evil. Um, Well, so I'm a media person, Mm -hmm. and I I, this started as a (laughs) short film, and the short film was an ASMR horror short. And it got some good (laughs) press pickup because of it being a first, and that's kind of what media likes to cover. They like unusual pairings. So we got some large large-scale press so like av club id magazine insider and um started so actually... it as well
1: as directing it alex You're the yeah lead. Hmm. yeah
5: well that's only because my lead got a day player role in the deuce on hbo so i had to step in last minute to actually do it <laughs> to like not lose my production timetable but um so uh production company reached out um about the um feature length version because they're like this ticks a lot of boxes for us it's horror it's female led got some weird asmr element and it's screen life format which is cheap so i thought about it and i thought you know what do i want to write and i thought about you know the story that i wanted to tell which is kind of the comp for it is really taxi driver but if Hmm. travis bickle had like a uh an internet connection very 21st century story uh if you had an internet connection and kind of internet community so i sat down and i wrote that and that's black pills what came out um so it really follows um an incel and um his obsession with an asmr artist because uh he spends a lot of time online and that's his kind of come down and there's a few twists and turns in it but um yeah kind of how the internet can make a villain of us all in the end
1: mm-hmm. the really cool thing and there's many cool things about black people but of the in things of the process is that alex the short focuses on the the asmr um kind of youtuber but alex changed the protagonist when she did the feature version to the person who's stalking her from the short okay. which is really interesting because there obviously would be a more straightforward version that is just kind of like this girl in a house and there's mm-hmm. a guy trying to kill her. And instead she really spent a lot of time kind of get doing the research on that, on that kind of community and, and, and kind of finding a way to kind of portray that she kind of switched up, which I think, you know, is something that we found really fascinating. And I think other people have found fascinating is kind of bringing people into a community in the same way that like something like Nightcrawler might, mm-hmm. that, you know, people were not familiar with, um, which is I think a credit to her and a credit to thinking beyond Kind of the initial short.
6: Mm -hmm.
0: And Alex, in terms of switching the uh, POV from sort of your protagonist (laughs) to your antagonist, when did you decide to make that transition? When did you make that switch? At what point in the
6: story...
5: the short was like very contained the short was Mm -hmm. about how violence against women starts with words and it was born of my experience um owning a production company that Mm -hmm. does like online video and we had like a very heavily watched series called everything explained and each one of those episodes got between two and 11 million views um, online and we had two hosts one was male and one was female and the male host had a slight speech impediment and the female host was just amazing she was uh, a botanist at the new york botanical gardens uh with an improv background she her name's leanna she's fantastic but reading you know you know i have to read all of the comments to understand what the audience liked or what they didn't like but um all of the comments on leanna's videos were about her voice how she held her arms what she was wearing um and then the, the the comments on the male hosted video were always about like the content that we were presenting in the video. Um, even though he had a speech impediment, which was like mind-boggling to me. It's like seemed like the easy thing to like make fun of. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like uh being on the internet while female. So the the short was very contained and it had a very uh bespoke agenda it's Mm -hmm. it's very it's very lean it's one it's it's shot as a one shot it's really two shots stitched together with like a lag error but um i really felt like i had said everything that i wanted to say with that and i really wanted to explore you know why people in the 21st century you know um find talking through a screen so much um so much more palatable and how that's actually going to become more of the norm Mm -hmm. uh, as we move forward. Um, You know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling feedback loop. You know, you have these people that tend to not have the best social skills, so they seek reprieve in gaming online and online communities, which then exacerbates the problem. So it just kind of, it's an aerobarose. But um, yeah, uh, so that's kind of why I shifted the focus. It just felt like an area that was like ripe for investigation. Mm -hmm. And
0: you had mentioned, obviously, it's you'd mentioned YouTube and social media and other aspects that are timely. Uh, but with, when you you mentioned things like ASMR, when you're pitching that to producers and executives and whoever, is that something that you found that got a good response? Like people understood they knew what that was? Or did you have to sit and explain what that is and how popular it is? There's YouTube, huge YouTubers and huge social media Uh, stars based that that do that right
5: i think the context if of the asmr world is very clear in the script it's Mm -hmm. a dichotomy so you have this very male world Mm -hmm. that is filled with kind of noise and jordan peterson like um talking heads Mm -hmm. etc and then you have this uh divine feminine space which is asmr which is screen life format for the most part so it's very in the script i think it's very clear the juxtaposition that we're creating um, uh, for these two worlds and these mm-hmm. two characters and how they collide.
0: Gotcha. Um, so, okay, next up, let's jump to Jessica Welsh, the writer of Shania. And Jessica is represented by Kate at Bellevue and CIA. Uh, and Shania is about Eileen Edwards. as uh, She rises from an impoverished upbringing in rural Canada to transform into 90s global country pop star Shania Twain, only to face her greatest challenge yet, putting her life and career back together after losing her voice. Uh, Jessica, how did you decide to write a script about becoming Shania Twain?
7: Well, I had many, many years of... Uh growing up and listening to her music as a kid over and over again on repeat my i think my mom had the cd so right when she was really hitting it big like i've been aware of her my whole life so had that personal connection um and then also like i'm a big music history person Mm. so had you know loved the straight out of compton and bohemian rhapsody and rocket man all these music biopics um and kind of felt there was like a gap for a female driven one waiting to be filled. So that combined with like, I just thought she had the most incredible story that I'm not sure that many people know about.
0: Okay. And the same thing with uh, a Hufflepuff love story. Shania obviously is dependent on, you know, if you're going to tell it. Shania. (laughs) Right. Uh, So is that something that you just, with, Passion in your heart, you decided I'm gonna write it regardless of how challenging it would be. Not impossible, but challenging, you know. Obviously, um, you know, movies do get made. Uh, John uh, has a great example. Um, I live with the one of I them, mean. right? <laughs> uh, where that you know it can absolutely happen. But is that something that you even considered before you started writing it, or is it something where you? Yeah, yeah, you uh did you words, did you just discuss it um uh, uh with Kate before you went off and wrote it or did had you already written it when you and Kate had you know did you just basically send it to Kate and said here by the way
7: Yeah, I had it was definitely like a an affair of the heart. Mm-hmm. I was just like loved the story and you know was wasn't attached to any like physical results but was you know, just, uh, you know, hoping it would be a great sample. Um, so I sent it to Bellevue because I'd seen they represented some music biopic scripts that I'd really, uh, I'd read some of them and thought they were really good and it got passed to Kate. Um, and, uh, and so then we started working together. And I think when I first turned it in, it was like a lot of really interesting scenes. <laughs> So we like really worked on finding the shape, and you know, really making a making it more of like a story, you know, than than such a like cradle to grave like extended sequence of scenes. Mm-hmm.
0: And we've we've heard John has chimed in once, but I haven't heard from Kate, and so I want to ask you, Kate, what was it about Shania that really drew you to it?
8: Um. I mean, to start when, you know, when we got it and, and John, John was like, hey, we, we got this script and it's a Shania Twain biopic, do you want to read it? And I was like, yes, obviously, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also uh, grew up loving Shania um, and then reading it. I mean, it was a combination of like, I just really sparked to Jess's writing um, and, uh, you know, and that's always like first and foremost, you know, when signing someone is, is, you know, do I connect with their voice? Um, and then just the script itself, I mean, really like, um, it is her story, but I think it was the, the theme of this story was so clearly about a woman, like a, a a woman finding her artistic, like finally being able to express her artistic voice. And I've never had a story where it was like, the theme was actually like a literal, like what she experienced. She literally lost her voice, you know? And had to like figure out how to come back from that. And I was just so like struck by that. Um, it just it's like just so incredible. And I had no idea, hmm. you know, that she had gone through that. And um and so that 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 was just I you know, I really sparked to that. And that was in particular, I think a lot of like what what we worked on shaping the story it was like that's the core of what it's, you know, really about. But I mean, yeah, and then I just thought, you know. Outside of that, it just seemed like the kind of thing that people would want to read, you know, so, uh, you know, sort of a, taking a page out of John's stunt script, you know, <laughs> the whole thought process of mm-hmm. of just trying to get as many people to read your client's scripts and and it's felt like the kind of thing people would spark to.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say there's two kinds of scripts like biopics that work really well for people. And the first one is the amazing story of someone who people don't know, but they changed the world. So like. Hidden Figures, Imitation Game fall into that. And then there's the amazing story of someone who everyone already knows, but you didn't know this about them. And I would say, you know, uh, Blind Admission falls into that. Shania falls into that. You know, Rocket Man, for example. I don't think people know all this stuff Elton John necessarily went through. You have this a lot with music biopics, um, where there is a journey that the people not be familiar with. And, and Shania's story... And as a proud Canadian, uh, I'm very happy to be uh, even at the same management company um, as Jessica. It, it It is truly an amazing, amazing story. It's the kind of story where you when you look it up or you read Jessica's amazing script that you're like, how did this really happen? And it all really happened.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, next up on our list, Chris Wu, the writer of Mr. Benihana. Um, he's represented by John and Copland. Kaplan Stoller, Um, and the logline is, When a short Japanese kid from post-war Tokyo decides to make it big in the U.S. of A., he discovers a winning recipe of exploiting his heritage with good old-fashioned American entertainment to the great shame of his traditionalist father. This is the larger-than-life immigrant story of the OG daredevil playboy tycoon, the one and only Rocky Aoki. So, Chris, uh, as a fan of Benihana myself uh tell us a little bit about mr benihana how did you what made you want to write about uh rocky aoki
9: yeah uh, of course uh so i would say that the pandemic was uh a good time for introspection hmm. and uh so i realized that um i kind of got into the uh into writing and entertainment because growing up i never really saw anybody who looked like me on film or Mm -hmm. TV, you know? And so that was kind of my mission. And so during the pandemic, I was like, I just wanna write an Asian American biopic because there are none of those out there. Right. So I really just kind of dug in uh, and did a deep dive into researching all sorts of Asian American figures in sports, entertainment, uh, politics, even architecture. Myelin and uh, I am pay, uh, and I'd go to John and I'd be like, "How about this person? How about this person?" We would discuss it, and sometimes it seemed promising, but then it, you know nothing really quite popped. Uh, and then I think John was just like, "How about Rocky Aoki?" And I was like, "Who?" <laughs> and he was like, "The guy who created Benihana," and I was like, "Oh, looked him up." First have you ever of, been to Benihana, Chris? I've never even been to <laughs> What? Oh my god, dude! But did uh it, it, it was also the pandemic. I was I couldn't go anyway. So uh, I I did write this script without ever stepping foot into a Benihana. But yeah. I guess
10: follow up question: Have you been to a Steve Aoki concert?
9: Ooh, I wish. I wish that seemed like so much fun. But uh, <laughs> I is did Steve actually... Aoki in your script? Steve is a, a little mentioned. footnote that's mentioned yeah near the end of the script
11: have you watched too fast too furious starring devin aoki
9: <laughs> <laughs> no but i think sophia saw devin aoki uh this last week right
3: devin aoki is like my idol in all things like i love her so much and yeah i saw her in Irwan and i cried <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you text chris this
3: um, I actually did just in the beginning of this. Yeah, I, earlier I texted him and I was like, I saw that. Chris and
1: there. Sophie used to work on a TV show together. So oh,
0: what show was this?
9: OA50.
3: Oh, okay,
0: yeah. I know a couple of writers from that show. But um, So, Chris, Mr. Benihana, uh, you, John had you, Rocky Aoki, and uh, so what, sort of nice. research did you do obviously other than going to Benny benihana during the pandemic <laughs> to 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 come up with a really deep dive into rocky aoki's life
9: uh, well there are a lot of articles written about mm-hmm. him uh and uh you know you just read one, the first article that pops up on google and you're just like oh my god who is this person he's done everything under the sun I mean he like won powerboat races he was the first person to cross the Pacific Ocean in a hot air balloon uh you know he opened up his own nightclub and a softcore porn magazine (laughs) so it's kind of like wow how how did I not know about this person and I felt like this is a story that just really had to be told uh so I, I like to do my research. I definitely, you know, mm. read everything I can, watch everything I can. I found commercials from the 70s uh for Benihana, Hanna where mm. Rocky was actually in the commercial himself. Uh he there was a book that was written um about his life uh and uh found that off Amazon and read that. Um so yeah, there's a lot of material that's out there and uh The trick is then compiling it and Mm -hmm. then shaping it into something that makes sense, uh, that really like tells a story and kind of uh, has a point of view, you know, and I I think that was, that was the real trick in writing this script. Mm -hmm. The fun thing about Rocky as a character that
1: Chris really nails is that Rocky is a liar. So he's an unreliable narrator. (laughs) So... It was one of the things where Chris was doing this research and he had to like figure out, like, Rocky said this, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. So it was kind of a fun, interesting dynamic to play with in the script, essentially. Because you you could do your research, but just because it was in a book or an article from Rocky, it doesn't necessarily make that actually true. So when you're
0: writing a story, Chris, about an unreliable narrator or with unreliable sources on occasion how do you formulate it in terms of figuring out what's true and what's not? Do you want to include some of the stuff that isn't true? Cause obviously you have, you know, sort of, uh, creative, uh, control over it. You can, if it's more interesting to tell the fiction, is it his point of view? Do you, what, how did you decide to, what to distill down and, and what elements to use and what not to
7: use?
9: Yeah, I, I think in many ways, um, th- that concept of the unreliable narrator you know like once we kind of landed on it it was very freeing in many Mm -hmm. ways because then uh there was so much uh creative license and then it was about uh picking you know what seemed most interesting what seemed more fun and entertaining uh rocky himself was such an entertainer and so he it didn't matter if things were true i've read three different accounts of how he got his name rocky you know, because uh, he, uh, he he was born in Japan and his real name is Hiroki Aoki. And so it's kind of like, all right, let's then show, you know, like different versions. And he says this and in the script, you know, there's voiceover used, So you hear his voice, you hear the story he's telling, but then you see what's on screen and they're not really matching up. And so that's kind of the fun in it. And mm-hmm. it's also uh, it is freeing because it's like, well, you know I can create something and not feel beholden to like oh well this has to be like based on what really happened uh I think it's just loosely based on it you yeah know, so.
0: no that's cool uh have you seen Rashomon the Kurosawa yes. film
9: yeah oh yes huge <laughs> yeah huge influence it <laughs> definitely has a Rashomon uh thread throughout it yeah so cool
0: Um, Next up is William Yu, writer of It Was You, represented by Zach and APA. Uh, And It Was You, the logline is, With the future of Manhattan's Chinatown at stake, a stubborn store clerk battles against an innovative CEO's expansion plan, while both are unaware they've been falling in love with each other on a new anonymous dating app. Uh, So, William... uh, How did you come up with the idea uh, for It Was You and and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think
11: there were probably two main instances that kind of informed the inception of of It Was You. Um, The first was slight tangent. Uh, Like five years ago, I created this project called Hashtag Starring John Cho, uh, which was this social media movement where I Photoshopped all these movie posters to put John Cho to see what it would see if like Captain America was an Asian person or if any of the Chrises was an Asian person and, instead of them.
6: Mm-hmm.
11: And uh, it was a project that ended up going viral and, and getting some, some attention. So one of the things that led me to Chinatown was I ended up partnering with this store called Pearl River Mart in Manhattan, Chinatown. I lived in New York at the time. And Proverb Mart is a store that's been there for generations. It's been passed down through the family, and we printed out all the posters and we framed them and we put it up for the public to see. And I just ended up having a lot of lunches and meals with Joanne, who was the the president of Proverb Mart, and she just ended up kind of spilling some of this Chinatown tea about how there was all this intergenerational conflict over what the future of the neighborhood was going to be as Chinatown was getting quickly gentrified by people who were coming in and like opening up art galleries and like new like hybrid restaurants and new like these like new, like new generation bars and there was a lot of discrepancy within the Chinese American community that was primarily from the old heads and the younger generation about whether or not Chinatown stays Chinatown and keeps the culture what it is Or if they start opening up, being more multicultural, being more accepting of the diversity that that the future could potentially behold. And I thought that was really fascinating and something that for me, as someone who wants to write stories that center around Asian-American narratives and Asian-American characters, um, it was a nuance that I think was, was interesting to hear and felt different than what I think the usual traditional of like, we just have to keep the culture alive Mm -hmm. um, dynamic was. So I think that was the first thing going in. And I think what ended up lending it to be a rom-com was just my love for Nora Ephron, Nancy Meyers, like Richard Curtis type movies Mm -hmm. and that generation of films. And I remember rereading the script for You've Got Mail and realizing that there's this whole gentrification subplot that the film, that the script actually has that gets cut out of the actual final film and realizing that I was like, wow, but like that was where the heart and a lot of like the meat of of what was happening in New York at the time was. And so I kind of had this idea of, man, what if you could take some of those tensions, some of those conflicts and put it in in Chinatown and what would that look like? And I think we've seen this, you know, resurgence of rom-coms, whether it's like set it up or always be my maybe or crazy rich Asians, mm-hmm. which I think kind of are able to give a new take on some tried and true formulas that I think I was really excited to kind of see how we could hack and slash it a little bit to, to make something new.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when you were writing, uh, when you were writing it was you at what stage did you look at the sort of the landscape of of the studio system meaning like crazy rich asians sort of opened that door like hey there's money to be had here you know in terms of you know looking at it in in sort of that capitalist sense what did that enter the equation for you like did that make it I don't want to say easier to write, because it sounds like it was definitely something that you would have written anyway, which is, uh, I think, obviously probably why it shows on the page and, you know, why it got the reception it did. But when you're writing uh, a script, a story, an Asian-American story, um, what what point do you look at the outside things going around the marketplace and and the success of other, you know, Shang-Chi and, you know, all that stuff? Uh, At what point does that affect your writing and and how you uh, proceed going forward with it?
11: Yeah, i I wish I was that tactical. I wish I was that strategic to like look at like the, the business landscape and feel as though there's a hole to fill. Um I mean, I think when going into the story, I think in, in discussing with Zach and when we were trying to decide, you know, what project I was gonna write next, I think we definitely felt that it was you had a lot of commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. I think we thought that it was something that a lot of different audiences, whether you're agent or not, could find access into, you know, even just looking at the modern dating landscape, awkward misadventures of trying to figure out how to have cyber sex in weird ways and try to like woo someone through gifts. Like I, and I think that's all something that, you know, most of us can, can at this point in our lives can say we've experimented with at one point or another. Um, but I think, you know, for us, I think the, 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 the scale of it, I think really came only in, in moments where we felt, you know, Hey, we really want to ramp up the set piece. How do we mm-hmm. make this a little splashier? You want to make the scene a little bit more heightened. Maybe we, 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 uh, finesse the location a little bit. I think in those ways, we could feel as if, hey, you know, this story then has a little bit bigger legs to stand on, rather it being, you know, a super small indie rom-com and having it something where you could play a little bigger. And that's, I think, on the pure entertainment side of it.
0: No, that's great. That's great that you uh, took that perspective. And and, uh, it it sounds like with your other uh, project that you worked on with John Cho, that you have definitely been in that sort of space even before it became popular so to speak uh mainstream which is great um now i'm going to come back through uh and ask questions of all of our uh blacklist writers but i did want to touch base with john kate and so that's daniel jackson oh dan jackson over, that's he, the, he is the number he was on the blacklist he,
1: it's true i know he he you're a little low on Number there. one yeah.
0: no yeah. The, the number of the number one the writer of the number one script on the blacklist cauliflower you're correct uh, I put him at the bottom because you know the the the, the number one. Yeah. yeah, it's
12: fine. We can skip, man. So it's good. It
1: Kevin's keeping you humble,
0: Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> keeping you in check because I don't want that number one to get to your head. Uh, Daniel Jackson, how could I forget you? Um, Cauliflower. The he's represented by John and Zach and UTA. Uh, cauliflower, under the cruel guidance of a mysterious coach, an ambitious high school wrestler struggles to become a state champion while battling a bizarre infection in his ear that both makes him dominant in his sport and threatens his sanity. Uh, sounds creepy and awesome, uh, Daniel. So sorry I missed you. You're on. You're on deck now, Daniel. How? What inspired you to write uh, a script like Cauliflower? And i yeah, like the yeah. cauliflower ear right i got that
12: exactly nice. yeah yeah yeah. you made the, the connection uh yeah you know um it's funny so like i i didn't wrestle that's often people like hear about the script and they're like mm. did you wrestle and then i have to be like no but um my i've th- i'm one of four brothers so i have three brothers they all wrestled and my dad wrestled as well so, um so you know i definitely like grew up around the sport and sort of like going to all the meets and sort of you know just learning the moves in the living room and you know it was very familiar with it and you know a lot of the details about like how people in like the lower weight classes and the way they kind of have to like maintain weight and the pressure that's put on you know smaller wrestlers to be competitive um I always thought were really interesting and I kind of I think over time thought like oh there's probably a story here it was a fascinating world um and then you know I tend to write things that have like a genre element to them and I think like eventually I kind of discovered thinking about the cauliflower ear thing. It kind of like, I had this supernatural hook to it. I love, you know, David Cronenberg movies, mm. particularly like Videodrome and like the brood and rabbit and some of those early ones that are really gross. And like anything like that's like visceral, the ear thing was quickly kind of things to like, Oh, this is very gross and creepy. And there's something you can hang a story around. And then, you know, over time it kind of in the, the script itself, it kind of becomes a metaphor for, you know, all those different pressures young people face when they're trying to succeed at something and sort of all the different voices they're trying to get in your head and how do you kind of like figure out what your inner voice is and what you want to do and who you want to be. So it kind of became a way of exploring that, hopefully in a, you know, a fun sort of intense horror sports story, you know? So um, yeah, that's kind of the, that was like the genesis of it basically. Mm
0: -hmm. If you were to pick a cast who or or maybe perhaps you wrote it with someone in mind that you may or not be able to say but like let's say in a hypothetical world um
1: Well, we skip this question i can't get into it all right because it's probably
0: (laughs) out to somebody right now um well maybe you can answer this do you write with the actors in mind when you are writing a script a screenplay
12: um not that often i Mm -hmm. would say i think occasionally sometimes you'll get like a flash of an image of someone but um I think, you know, honestly, like for this script, like there were, I, you know, I would occasionally just picture people I knew from high school or, you know, wrestlers, or, you know, kind of just like, you know, you'd see people's faces and sort of, you know, if you're trying to pull from sort of some of the memories of that period. So I think, um, you know, it's probably more of that than necessarily like specific actors. Um, though, I guess that happens occasionally, but I try not to like focus on that too much.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And where were you, and what were you doing when you found out you had the number one script on this year's blacklist?
12: <laughs> um, I was uh, right at my computer. I was in the exact <laughs> location. You, you, you were working on, on next we year's see number the one special.
1: Space right now.
12: Yeah, I was. Like, this is the yeah. This is the exact location. I was in the same chair, and I was looking at my computer and watching the stuff. So, yeah, it was um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty wild, but uh, you know, obviously cool and exciting.
0: <laughs> Very <laughs> understated, but I like that. No, that's cool. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool. That's um, how Dan reacted. No, that's great. Hear. That's fantastic, though. I mean, <laughs> really. Um, uh, so um, I I do want to come back again and ask everyone questions. Um, but I wanted to, again, touch base with John and Kate and Zach, and the fallout, in a good way, of of blacklist nominations. Like, what happens? when you get scripts, nine scripts, nine client scripts on the blacklist in terms of around town. Like the recognition- well, we heard that one
1: of the major agencies, I won't say who, one of the major agencies in their staff meeting yesterday was like, what the fuck is going on with these guys? You know, in a good way though, like- Yeah. You need know, to pay attention to these guys, you know?
8: We need to start covering them.
1: Yeah, we need to start covering. Get into, what, what what's going on with them? Well, because we CAA
0: had nine scripts on the blacklist. Bellevue had 9 scripts on the blacklist. So, I mean, that 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 tells
1: you something. Um but again I think I think we had like I don't I don't know how many scripts are on it. I want to say what the number was, but I think we had 10% of the scripts. If I'm um, let me see actually. I have it numbered out. There's 73 scripts on the blacklist. So, yeah, we had more than 10%, which is cool. Yeah. I know Kate Kate and I were talking about that today. So Kate can can you tell what well, we were talking about a little bit, but in, in a play way.
8: Oh, well, I was just, I, I've gotten a lot of emails that are like, hey, we should meet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was joking to John that somehow I'm more legitimate as a manager or something. Um, but, um, I mean, it's been nice, you know, like a lot of people reaching out and congratulating us. And, and I think from the company perspective, I mean, I think, um, I think it's definitely made people take notice of us. You know, we are such a small company. Um, you know, and I think I think we've long uh, and and this is really you know obviously a testament to John, but I think you know the company has long been known for the quality of the scripts that we take out. Um, and I think that this just really like kind of cemented that for people. So um, it's been great in that sense. And and in terms of you know clients like definitely started to see more like I mean John I'll let John speak on, and obviously I, you know I don't know about Zach, but for for my clients I mean a lot a lot more meetings. And just um get ready for and, the
1: more water bottle water bottle yeah. water bottle two part two everybody on And that.
8: I mean, you know, in in fairness like um Brian, Lindsay and us, like all when we took the script out, you know, and that's sort of part of like kind of no, having a sense of like what's going to make it onto the blacklist is like how many meetings are they actually getting off of the script and mm-hmm. what is the response but a lot of executives who sat down with them you know reached out to me personally to say like they were super excited to see their um them on on the list which is really nice and and I think as a rep that's all you really like at the end of the day that's why you want people your clients to be on the blacklist you really believe in their writing and you want more people to read their work mm-hmm. so
1: The trick always is the script gets the client in the room, and the client, you know, for the right gets the writer in the room, and then the writer makes the connection, and then that's kind of like this cycle. And so, the tool of a screenplay is to get the writer in the room. And the fun thing about this is, you know, I'd say I don't want to say like half the town, but a lot, a lot of people, a lot of the people in the town have read these scripts of all the writers on this Zoom right now, Um, and I suspect over the holiday break and of the months to come. Um, you know, the other half is gonna catch up and read those scripts and become aware. And it's just nice. It is one of those funny things where I've noticed because, you know, specs don't sell like they used to. Things don't happen quite as much as they used to uh, on the feature side. Um, And so if you're talking to a big name, A-list producer person, their CE may have read the script, but you're talking to that person you're like oh well, what about so-and-so for this assignment and they go oh, what are they what are they sold what are they done and you're like well they were on the blacklist last year oh okay it's an immediate it is kind of a validation situation um which is really fun and it's kind of it's it, it, you know my wife just signed um with apa well she signed with APA a little while ago with the announcement went out yesterday and the top it said blacklist writer elise homelander so like it is one of those kind of like verified you are verified by this you're pre-approved which is really exciting. By the way, I don't want to throw it to Zach, but I want to celebrate. Yeah, this week has been amazing for Bellevue. Obviously, you know, the success in the blacklist, but also our very own Zach Zucker got his film got five Independent Spirit Award nominations this week, and he got and one of those is to him for best feature. So we are lucky to have an award, you know, an incredibly award nominated producer in our midst. <laughs>
10: Thank you, John. You're you're far too kind for for my contribution there, but it's been a a really exciting week for sure.
8: So Sabi, you found the script.
1: On the
10: Blacklist. Yeah. So here's So so here's another way the Blacklist works. So like for anyone watching or listening, who's like confused about like, what's the difference between the Blacklist website versus the annual list? The annual (laughs) list is a survey of the development executives of production companies and studios around town, you know, where. The blacklist reaches out and says, you know, what were your favorite scripts that you read this year, unproduced scripts versus the website, which is an entirely different side of the business where writers can pay to or in some cases, you know, get pre hosting to have them host their scripts and have industry insiders find them and, and hopefully read them and connect with them. And so the backstory behind the movie's called The Novice, which actually comes out this Friday on demand. It's out on so, Friday, everyone
1: go see it in the yeah. theaters. So go, uh,
10: in theaters on demand this Friday. But um before managing, I was an independent producer. And as a you know, young indie producer, I was constantly looking for material. And I actually found that script on the Blacklist website and reached out. You know, I read it and, and liked it and reached out to the writer to set a general. And, and her name is Lauren Hathaway, and she's incredibly talented. And um, you know, it turned out that she wanted to direct it as well and, and had a really articulate and incredible vision for what she wanted to do with it. And so we just kind of developed it up from there. And, and um, not just me, partner with some other really fantastic producers as well, ultimately found the financing and got it made. And so anyway, that's just to say that um, for anyone confused out there, there, there's another half to the Blacklist as well, which is also, I think, really effective and, and obviously has been great, you know, for, for me and for Lauren and the film.
6: That's
8: great um I also I also uh, found Lindsay on the blacklist website oh, so you too.
0: Mm-hmm. oh wow and
1: I found many many clients in the blacklist website
0: oh that's great
1: so great site and also script pipeline which is where I found uh, both Brian
8: and Daniel
1: um, and then uh, Jessica I found found through Colt. cold query there, Sorry, Jessica. Oh, yeah, yes. Jessica. Sorry. Sorry, I meant to see Alex, but I was thinking. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, Jessica had emailed me. Um, and then Alex was through Screencraft, I think. Am I right, Alex? Do you remember? Which one? Which one was Page. it? Page. Page. Orange. Page. Somewhere someone's mad at me. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, speaking to the fact that, you know, that these comp that the competitions sometimes, you know, you find people through many, many different ways. I signed Sophia out of USC um first pitch three years ago four years ago so you find people by all kinds of different ways all different methodologies I think the reason Jessica just had my email is because I was on a um a script a script coordinator board with her because I had previously been a script coordinator on the tv show Castle and then I would always email out when people ask for pilot scripts or something. So it was actually a little different than the usual kind of email. She emailed me at my at my personal email, um, which she had. So it's kind of a little, little different. So you can have different relationships and different ways that people come into your life.
0: No, that's and actually that's, that's a topic, although you covered a lot of it, John, or some of it anyway, uh, that I think a lot of the viewers and, and emerging writers that, that may watch or listen uh, landing their first rep. Now, all of you guys have agents and obviously managers which who are all here. Actually, um, I, I want to go down the list and and get your uh, first job, like what your first job in the industry was, and then how you actually ended up landing your uh, your first rep, whether it was Bellevue or you know your agent or some or other someone not as you, good that, as that, that, someone... right that you're no longer with that is better X, than yes right um so brian uh brian t arnold can you yes. tell can you first off what was your first job in the industry if it you know wasn't writing uh sure. and uh how did you land your first rep uh
2: my first job in the industry i've had a bunch of them um but the first job was i was i'm originally from west virginia and um super eight the the jj hmm. Abrams movie shot in west virginia and i quit my full-time job just to work as a pa on that for a couple of weeks uh and i knew like it was that, it's that classic story of you know the circus comes to town and then you you're like oh this is what i this is what i want to do forever um so then i moved out here and i've worked i've worked in product placement i've worked in post-production services. I've, uh, worked on the Warner brothers tour guide. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a million <laughs> different entertainment jobs, but the first time I got repped, it was, um, a few years back, it was a different screenplay. Um, it was a similar story that I won a competition, um, got repped with a, you know, fine people, but just ended up not being a good fit. Mm-hmm. The script didn't, the script didn't end up selling. And then like over the next year or two it was kind of apparent that we just weren't a good fit together and eventually we parted ways and I was you know thought for a minute that like you know I blew my shot and that it was over for me and you know it wasn't going to happen it wasn't going to happen again and then luckily i won um script pipelines uh competition with this script and then that they introduced me to to bellevue and bellevue introduced me to apa and it was you know started all over again and in a in a very nice way
1: you did something really brave brian which i want to just comment on which is Your previous representation—they didn't understand, you know, what your writing was or who you did—and you left, you know. And I think for a lot of people that I talk to online and offline, they are terrified of getting out of a relationship, even if it's a bad relationship. In terms of a management Mm -hmm. relationship, it's better to have a bad manager than no manager. And I tell people, no, like if you have a bad manager, it's it's kind of like being in a relationship. If you're dating someone and you don't think they're the one or they're not a good relationship, it'd be you're staying with them because you're afraid of not having someone, you're, they're in the way of the right person. And so I think that's a real credit to you that you believed in yourself and you said they didn't understand what you're doing. Instead of saying, okay, well, I guess I'm wrong. You were like, no, I believe in myself. I believe in what I'm doing and I'm going to go take my chance out there. And, and yeah, yeah, I think that's really brave.
2: I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I hear that a lot too. And I've talked to people about that, of the, hmm. the bad manager versus no manager. And like, I mean, it's kind of almost the same thing in that, you know, if you have a manager either they're either on the same page with your scripts, not going to get out there. So either way, it's hard to get read and you're and you're also just holding yourself back from writing the things that you want to write. So it's not only you're not only getting the negative, the same negatives of like, how am I going to get my script out there? You're also getting the like you're more timid and you're not you're, you're scared to like let your voice out and try and it's just yeah, I would say like to anybody in a situation that just isn't a good fit for whatever reason you know, don't be afraid to bet on yourself because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, let's see. Uh, Sophia. So can you tell us what your first job in the industry was and how you, who your first, not who your first, but how you signed with your first rep?
3: Oh, yes. Well, my first job in the industry was Writers PA. Hmm. It was awesome. I was carrying like Literally stacks, of, this is the nice. a a stacks of coffee. I was carrying so many, actually uh, Chris was around at the same time he was a writer, I was a writer's PA. And it was a crazy time and I was learning so much and it was so cool. Um, and that was my first industry job. I guess I taught film camp back when I was in high school. So not industry, industry adjacent, but it was really fun. Um, how did I get John as my rep? I got extremely lucky and fortunate. Uh, USC sends out a list of, like, script lists, you know, where they have log lines, mm-hmm. and I'd written a thesis uh, in my senior year, and it was called Vices, it was the story of my parents' meeting, and, you know, my dad was trying to break into the world of entertainment law, um, and it was a world that was really closed off to his race and class at the time, and it was kind of like his story, and then how he met my mom, whole, uh, you know, family drama situation that I put on the page and john read it or he read the log line i'm not sure he read it or read the log line and well, funny thing is i
1: went to usc first pitch and i didn't meet sophia because mm-hmm. you meet a lot of people they meet in person and you know you, you connect to them but we didn't meet and so i just saw her her log line and it sounded really interesting i didn't i don't think you mentioned in the log line that's it's it's your parents story
3: yeah i don't know if i did i just honestly was like trying to get through finals week and so i was like typing up you know whatever sounded okay and i was like half asleep the whole time running on five cups of coffee but for whatever reason you know it, it struck and we met and i was like this guy's just a genius and i'd be so lucky to. it work did here.
1: make me i did have to take your mom and you out to dinner though because your mom yes. had to sign off
3: that's true well, I mean, mom is.
1: do you want to see who your mom is
3: oh sure yeah she is the original daisy duke on the dukes of hazard so she was like daisy duke short shorts um and Catherine that bach. was Catherine bach yeah that was kind of the story you know because Catherine's like, who the fuck is this guy?
1: At the (laughs) time I'd only been a manager for like a year or so. And she's like, who's this shystery guy? Because Sophia's father was a huge entertainment attorney, and obviously Catherine is huge in the industry. And they're like, who's this person who wants to represent our daughter? What's this? I take them out to dinner at Republic to like seem like like real.
3: It was awesome. It was really great. And I mean, my mom and I are both like John's biggest fans. So like it all turned out amazing so I just feel super fortunate that like exactly at the right time in my life I met John and it was like an amazing intersection and he like believed in me at a time i like I don't even know if I believed in myself you know so it was just like it when someone believes in you when like mm-hmm. you literally just right out of college it means like everything the fact that he believes in me still like right now is like just like I'm so so thankful so it was just it worked out great
0: and how did you end up uh as a writer's PA how did you like land that job
3: You know, I interned in college. Mm -hmm. USC is um, like really great about landing you like in good internships over the course of your education there. So I was a intern over the course of college and I was there every summer, pretty much all through college. And then I actually ended up in the elevator with the showrunner, like on my last week of interning. And I was just like, I just shouted him in a meeting and they had a freelance episode that they were like looking to give out. And they were like, who should we be getting pitches from for this freelance and i was just like fingers crossed you know i'm just gonna give him my pitch and it's the first floor to the fourth floor and if he likes it then amazing literal
1: elevator
0: literal elevator pitch
3: (laughs) i was like if he doesn't like it i'm out of here anyway on friday and i'm never gonna come back so i'm just gonna shoot my shot and i shot it and it worked and they bought the story off of me and they invited me back to be their pa which was like so great
6: yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that. there you go. The the essence of the elevator pitch, but the one time one time out of a million, it worked, but that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, uh, Lindsay Michael. So uh, can you tell us what your first job in the industry was and h- how you landed your first reps?
4: I've actually never had an industry job. Oh, I've worked at a used bookstore and I've worked as an archery coach and that's it. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, so similar to Sophia. Well, she, actually.
8: she she has one now, but right yeah. <laughs> as a writer. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, similar to Sophia, I put my senior project up on the Blacklist website. Uh, mm. It was a sci-fi feature about a living planet, and um, that's wow. how Kate found me and just like almost immediately. Um, how, which how was really lucky.
8: How soon had you graduated? When, were you still in school when I reached either?
4: I think I graduated in June and you, you contacted me in September. So. I and so you
0: put it on the blacklist website. Is that what you Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you've been on both blacklists. There you go. Um, when, <laughs> when you put it on the blacklist website, did you get coverage and did you get a score just out of curiosity?
4: Yeah. So I shelled out the like $75 or sure. whatever. Um, because otherwise you're just basically shooting your script into the abyss. But Mm -hmm. if you get a good score, they have like a producer's email or something, Mm -hmm. I think, that goes out. Um, So
0: can you share what score you had?
4: I think you have to get an eight to go on the list. Mm -hmm. So I had at least an eight.
0: Oh, you don't even know.
4: I had a good score. Okay.
0: I was just kind of Um, curious because everybody asks. like, what?
1: It has to to be an eight. Mm -hmm. I mean, Franklin, I've talked about a lot. He's pretty open about Franklin Leonard. And it has to be, the way it works, if you get an A, they put you on this email that goes out that we, that's how we get it. I'm sure, sure that's how, I'm assuming that's how Kate found it. We get it, yeah. we get, you were on the website?
8: Yeah, I- oh,
1: shit, Kate, Kate was <laughs> real time, man. I
8: I, I I did. Well, you know, one of the things for me is there's, there's very few female writers um, who are really writing like big action, big sci-fi, um you know big horror type movies and so i i I really wanted to find those female writers and like bring them up and support them and i think it's you know i think it's 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 an opening in the industry and i think people really want to find that right now and so i would think i was doing like a search of like female action or sci-fi or something and it popped up but it definitely popped up and the reason i read it was because she got a good score Hmm. so the key is
4: Uh, The correct tags and a good score.
8: Huge. I don't know if every rep does that, but I I look at tags, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I I didn't even know that they had tags. So that's kind of helpful information, actually. Yeah. No, that's (laughs) super helpful. I guess it worked. Um, It didn't work. uh, Alex, so can you tell us what uh, your first job in the industry was and how you landed your first rep?
5: i think i was like industry adjacent for most of my career Mm -hmm. which is in media um so i started my career at vice media uh and uh i did a lot of branded content for noisy the music vertical there so uh pitching and selling shows that were you know bankrolled by ab inbev and other liquor sponsors (laughs) um which is how we made money back then Mm -hmm. in like 2011. Um, so that was my first job in the industry. I definitely learned how to write and pitch all of that stuff, make a deck, all of that um, through my experience in media.
0: And how did you land your first rep?
5: Uh, I uh, the Page Awards, and okay. John is my first rep, so oh, cool. I lucked out completely. Yeah, I was a judge, uh,
1: yeah. was a judge for the Page Awards. Mm-hmm and uh <laughs> to be completely honest i had read nine i got like 10 scripts or something mm-hmm. and nine of them were like really not good and then i came to uh alex's script and it blew me away and it was just like i also it was like late it was like one in the morning or something and um <clears throat> it was one in the morning and um i was like oh man this is gonna be but the title was the title of alex's short film which makes total sense for the short film not as much for the the the, well,
5: let me uh, let me blow up John's spot a little bit. I'm <laughs> I'm so thrilled to to work with John, and I'm in such great hands, and I'm just so I'm just thrilled. And I actually, John has actually was on my list. John and Zach because of um, their involvement with a writer I really like, Chris uh, Thomas Devlin. Tom, yeah, Chris Thomas Devlin, yeah, exactly. So like, I I just thought, oh my gosh. I love Chris's writing. They've done such crazy stuff for Chris that year. So I queried John and it went unanswered. I didn't and respond. He <laughs> didn't respond. And then um, the Page Awards rolled around. And then, yeah, so then it all, Kismet six months later, it all came together. But uh, yeah, I feel, I feel, I'm super happy.
1: It was, uh, it was an amazing script and I just, I couldn't put it down. It's funny, it's like, it reminds me of, I was actually talking to Jessica Cantor, who's one of Daniel's agents the other day. And she reminded me that she had um, started reading uh, uh, Cauliflower like late on like a Saturday or a Friday being like, I'll read 15 pages of this so I can kind of knock it out and like, it's probably not right or whatever. And then she's like, yeah, I had to read the whole thing that night. And that was like me at one in the morning reading Black Pill. Um, I didn't start reading Cauliflower at one in the morning. So, Um, but that was like, I remember specifically being like, holy shit, like I have to read this as quickly as possible. And and, you know, we talk a lot, Zach, myself, Kate, Jeff, Portnoy, who, who's not on here with us, about like, what do you look for? Because, you know, when you're reading so many scripts, you just have to have that feeling and like, where you're like, I have to read this person. I have to find this person. And, and it was just, it was, I I I was re- I reached out to Alex immediately, and then I don't think she responded on Twitter. And so I was like hitting, I saw that she had a mutual friend, Avi, and so I hit up Avi. I'm like, Avi, can you please introduce me to Alex? Oh my God, I have to talk to her. So it was one of those funny things where Alex had queried me and I had not paid attention to it at the time, which is funny in retrospect, but the moment I read it, I, I had to, you know, had to, had to meet with her cause she's such a phenomenal writer. So.
5: But yeah, I, I feel super, yeah, I'm super grateful to, to be read, but I do want to say mm-hmm. I have read Daniel's script Cauliflower and I felt the same way. I really enjoyed that. I, I, you get such a visual, I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that, but I really <laughs> liked it. And, um, I can't wait to see, uh, Who plays who, basically. I did get a lot of Cronenberg vibes from it, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a great one to see on the on the big screen, which I think is going to happen for you.
1: Thank you. The reason that we're like kind of secret about when I'm talking actors is there uh, there are some very cool. There's a very very cool young actors interested in the role, so we don't want to go out there. Don't want to jinx
5: it. No, I I feel you. Don't want to jinx it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I I wouldn't either. So, but yeah, I just want to say that real quick. Um. So,
0: Alex. I don't know, or maybe John, I should ask first. Did you go back and look at Alex's query just in your inbox just to see? I checked Alex's email.
1: I was like, when she emailed me, I was like, I wonder if she's ever emailed me before. And then I'm like, oh shit. You know, that does happen, by the way. Sometimes I go and see people's names on the blacklist. And I'm like, oh fuck, I got a query from them.
5: Oh, book. you're asking about the critique of the query letter. Yeah, um, I mean. It oh, the was crit- really, it was the title that he didn't like. Oh. Right, John?
1: It was originally called Tangle Monsters, which I just... I think it gave it would make sense cuz it's it's what the ASMR's um kind of like her fans are called um makes total sense in the short film but I think for the feature it it gave off a different kind of vibe which is why Alex ended up deciding to call the, the script black pill cuz mm-hmm. the perspective had shifted at that point um and I think also the the logline was a little more focused on I can remember what it was focused on but it was a little um I think it was either vaguer or it, it didn't quite reflect the, ta- the taxi driver nature of the script per se so
0: alex i know that especially younger writers writer, you've obviously had a career working advice working in, in in media prior to connecting with with john but i know a lot of younger writers it's hard to not take things personal like when you email uh, a query a manager and they don't even respond sometimes you can carry that with you. How how do you sort of let it roll off your back and just keep it professional and, and, and look at it from a different perspective?
5: I mean, I freelance right for different publications, so that's just kind of par for the course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be as simple as a word choice for an editor, quite honestly, that's just like, oh, or it's like not novel enough of an angle. So you can't take any of that personally. And again, like editors, people like John, people like Zach, people like like Kate, everybody, they, they get a lot of emails, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Not only query emails, but just a volume. So you can't take anything um, personally, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, and, and and if it's meant to be, honestly, it'll circle back. That was six months. Right. And I queried them and I actually forgot about the script, moved on to another one, which is what you want to do. And then yeah. Opening it back up. I, I realized it was like, wow, this this shit's dark. I uh, should probably be, Talking about this in therapy. I forgot I wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I that's the best advice. I mean, always keep it professional, never take anything personally. Also, we're in a pandemic, mm-hmm. like taking anything personally right now just seems like like self-flagellation, quite honestly, because there's a million and one factors that happen, you know, every day to everyone, and everyone's in their head. So yeah, no, it, I'm I'm so happy that it circled back. I think. Maybe I would have circled back in another six months to just say, hey, you know, I'm here. You know what I mean? Uh, I think circling back too much is obviously annoying, but I think you're allowed every six months to just be like, hey, I changed this. Here's yeah, a new log line. I one this, page. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that that's great in terms of a great I have a name a story to tell. Yeah, yeah.
1: Great. So recently, someone, and to be fair, this is someone who had a little bit of a profile, although I did not know this person email me I said hey I'll read your script it was a week maybe less than a week and they wrote back and they just said I guess you didn't like it then. I guess it wasn't for you or I guess you didn't like it and I was like oh you know and like you know it just was a weird take on it and like mm-hmm. that was something where I was like okay this reaction is telling me something about this person as a potential client necessarily you know I did end up reading it took me like another week you know it took two weeks it's a crazy time of year and I did pass you know but I can't say that like that didn't factor a little bit into Mm. it where I'm like, oh, clearly this is someone, you know, because how you conduct yourself professionally, I would say that I represent the clients, my clients, but my clients also represent me. And if the person is already like that, a week into a cold email response, you got to imagine when the, you know, other things happen and there's a lot of rejection in this industry that clearly they, it's a little tricky for them. So what Alex said is, is so wise and so correct.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Welsh. Uh, so can you tell us what your first industry job was and uh, how you landed your first rep?
7: Yeah, my first first job was a director's assistant, um, which meant I had no time for writing mm. whatsoever. <laughs> um, so after that, I was I did some tutoring, which was a better work writing balance. Um, and then I became a script coordinator on an Apple Kids animated series. Um, so that's also where I got my first writing credits. So by the time I emailed John, I had um, I had a couple credits uh, and had written that, this first draft of the script, like after that, like the first season on that show had wrapped and, and so Bellevue was my, Kate was my first rep.
0: Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah um let's see here uh chris uh can you tell us what your first industry gig was and uh how you landed your first rep
9: sure yeah i had a bit of a circuitous route uh i actually went to usc for graduate school but i was in the business school program hmm. and i was thinking at the time maybe i could do the business side of entertainment you know work at a studio and finance or marketing and so i did do that i uh Worked at Disney for a summer in their corporate finance group, and it was like the most depressing summer of my year of my life. I was just like, I cannot do this, and I was just constantly like looking at the creatives on the other side of the fence. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna have to just take that jump, and I talked to people uh, about what's the best way to break in, you know, get your foot in the door so many of them said go work at an agency Mm -hmm. and so i was like all right well let's do this and i after getting my mba uh jumped into the mailroom at wme ended up working for a tv lit agent uh for about a year and then uh jumped out of there because i knew i did not want to be an agent uh worked uh for the president of fox tv studios for a bit of a time And I was able to kind of meet the creatives uh, at Fox TV studios and kind of tell them, hey, I really want to be a writer. And so they were like very supportive, very helpful. The first show that got picked up while I was there for them was The Killing on Mm -hmm. AMC. And so I got in as a writer's PA on the first season of The Killing. And from there, I just kind of worked my way up the assistant ladder and worked on many different shows worked on a sitcom that Reba was in, uh, worked on uh, Bosch and uh, Man in the High Castle, which is where I got my first uh, script credit. And uh, yeah, I think at the same time, I was also writing and writing and I got into the Cape Fellowship Program and uh, also the CBS Fellowship Program. I think I, uh, so I got John as my rep uh because I was in a writer's group and one of the fellow writers in the group, uh, she had worked with John and uh we were having coffee and she was like, uh, well, if you're looking for a manager, I know John's looking. Uh send me your stuff. And so was I it sent Roxanne? Her. Uh no, it was Latoya. Oh yeah, shit. Latoya yeah. Morgan. Latoya Morgan, yeah, exactly. And so uh I sent she passed along the, uh, like the last pilot that I wrote and uh, John read it, I think he dug it because he wanted to meet me and so we sat down and we, uh, we talked and then yeah, it really, I mean, we just really hit it off really well and you know, I really vibed with John, I, I felt like he, you know, knew what he was talking about, he really kind of believed in me. And I, f- I feel like that's kind of the one of the most important things is just finding someone who really believes in you mm-hmm. really digs your writing understands you i felt like john was like the person you know who really did that and championed for me and so i've been with john for quite a while now uh more than five years i think and, and so
1: and the OGs,
9: yeah and so i really value john as like my manager my friend mm-hmm. i feel like he's always there for me and uh yeah uh, I can ask him for anything, really. So yeah, it's been great. And he does. <laughs> um, no, I mean,
1: I think one of the one of the one of the common things I think we're the first manager for a lot of people, and we're really lucky in that sense. And I think it's also something that Kate and Jeff and Zach and I love to do is find people and break them into this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which isn't to say obviously that we have to be it's any kind of requirement. But I think a lot of other management companies. I think one of the reasons we have so much success on the blacklist with people. A lot of other management companies are looking for people who are already established, already broken in. And so there's not a there's there's not as many as there should be focusing on the up and coming writers. And so we're really lucky to be able to find people because you know, a lot of other management companies are looking for people who are well established and they're not focusing on people who need that first boost. You know, no. so they're really lucky in that sense.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, William so can you tell us uh what your first job in the industry was and how you signed with your first rep
11: sure yeah my my journey to writing i think it kind of took a roundabout route uh because i came very late to it because coming out of college uh i actually worked in advertising for about five years so i was a strategist uh in new york working at a bunch of different agencies and I actually, when I moved out to LA about three years ago, I moved here for an advertising job. Oh. Um, and so that was my first career before uh, writing. You know, I had written a script in college as like part of uh, like a thesis, but it wasn't anything. And it was just not anything I'm super proud of to share. <laughs> and uh, and so I think, yeah, that was something for me coming into the industry. I was very mortified about like what this journey was going to hold and how I was going to find a rep and find someone that believes in you, just knowing that there were so many people that were coming out of... USC or Chapman or any of the schools where, you know, you're, you're training for for this moment. Um, and so the way that I, I found Zach was I queried. And so I did a bunch of research and I think what's interesting about Bellevue getting this, uh, recognition right now is having so many people on the blacklist when Bellevue has been doing this for Mm -hmm. the past, five years, six years, something like that. And I think that was one of the reasons why I queried Zach is because I had seen that clearly they were interested in developing and growing younger writers who had interesting voices. And at the time uh, I had a TV pilot that I had written called Good Boy, uh, which I had gotten an eight on the Blacklist platform uh, for. And so I was like, cool. I've like got that check mark in my pocket and it had um, placed in a script pipeline competition. Um, and I think at that time was in contention for a Sundance lab, which it eventually got into. And so I tried to put all of that hype into my query email uh, that I sent to Zach. And um, yeah, basically from there. And I think one thing that I think just from the moment I, I met Zach, it was just very clear that he valued organization. And detail and thinking very strategically and logically about this industry, which I think for someone who also likes to think of, about that way, especially in an industry where there's so much murkiness and there's so much, there are no rules and there's so much, anything could happen at any given time and any given point Um, to find someone that was also trying to find the patterns, the trends, the, the steps, I think to me was jumped out uh, right off the bat. And then I think beyond that, I think Zach, yeah, clearly had a, a passion and belief in, in the project. And I think an interesting and interest in developing diverse voices as well um, that I think really aligned with everything that I I wanted to do and create in the foundation of my career.
0: So I was really grateful for for him to take me on. So even getting an aid on the blacklist, uh, getting into Sundance Lab, success uh, at Script Pipeline, why didn't you have a rep at any point before then? Meaning like did they were those not enough accolades to get attention to where you were fielding phone calls and emails as opposed to querying at that point? Or did were there just not a fit?
11: Yeah, I think honestly I- I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely wasn't in a position where I was like fending off people. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I've been talking to a couple different managers who I, I had queried. Mm. Um, I think it's also just my innate personality and going into this whole journey where I was like, I want to be in control of my path, mm-hmm. so I think it was a thing where I didn't want, because I had, I had talked to other writers and friends who you know had signed with the first manager that had shown interest in them, and that proved to be not oftentimes not, or oftentimes not a great decision on their part, mm-hmm. or someone that just kind of came along and plucked them off of a competition. And after hearing a couple of those stories, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure, one, it's always going to be me making the choice. I get to choose. I get to vet. I get to understand who's going to help me because this is my career that we're talking about. And I think I almost treated it as, you know, working in a a corporate agency, which was my background and being like, I'm trying to find a manager and I'm mm-hmm. trying to or like like a corporate manager and except in this case I get to choose one instead of being assigned one so let's fi- let's let's really try to find someone who is interested not just because of the hype of a competition but is interested about what the next five years of my career are going to look like mm-hmm. and uh and I think Zach was 100%
10: that that guy yeah I also want to say William has a great Twitter thread that uh outlines his whole process right of I, th- I know you just bumped it up on your I think right you just bumped it up I on followed your, that yeah
5: I followed all yeah. of that for my query to John. I copied the go. email exactly in format. Oh my god, it, it. full. and it. it didn't work when I did it, but it <laughs> happened. Oh, i to actually, William, I'm gonna get your email from uh from Zach and um I'm gonna send you because it's like the it's the exact same format. And awesome. I you don't underline because you underlined your portion. I was just like, this is good. This is good formatting.
6: <laughs> so if <laughs> anyone yeah, listening it's, out it's, there,
10: go go to William's Twitter uh page and and there's a great thread that kind of outlines that great process and and Please. the the process you went to in finding a manager. So.
2: And it works 50% yeah. of the time. So yeah. that's pretty it's good. <laughs> time, it it 50 of the time, time. Pretty good. All, All pretty the good. time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I, I'm really
11: appreciative to hear that because, yeah, I, I have had people actually DM me to say that they use... That I don't. That those steps. It's not a method. It's 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 not rocket science. It's, I think it's like doing any type of job search where you know if you're if you're researching, you're finding a pool of people. You want to figure out how to hype yourself up to someone and make your, and brag about yourself. Um, yeah, I've had a few people DM me and say that's how they found their reps, and that's so cool. That's so cool to hear.
0: What's your Twitter yeah. handle? Yeah. Um,
11: my Twitter handle is at uh, ITS underscore Will you. So ITS underscore Will you.
0: There you go. Um, Cool. So Daniel Jackson, uh, can you tell us what your first job in the industry was and uh, how you landed your first rep?
12: Sure. Yeah. I mean, like Alex, I would say I'm like, I'm like very like industry adjacent. Like Mm -hmm. I've worked in media for my whole career and like I still work in media. Um, That's like, you know, I worked at uh, some music publications after college. And then, you know, I worked in Book publishing for a little while in new york and then i did i've worked at thrillist uh the website there for their entertainment section i've written for that site for like six years though i've I, that's like my thing so it's like you, know, you get to interview directors and sort mm-hmm. of write review movies and do lists and all that kind of stuff so you know i've been doing that for a long time um so that's it's like you know i would say again like alex was saying like you're adjacent to the industry but it's not exactly like oh a pa or that you know that kind of like path right. Um, and then John, I, you know, met via John and Zach. I met via the script pipeline competition. So mm-hmm. I won that at the cauliflower script, uh, won that competition and, uh, yeah, they kind of connected me with them and it just, you know, seemed like a good fit. Like we had similar taste and just kind of got along really well. And it was like, you know, just immediately kind of like, yeah, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: so. Matt Mistich had tweeted Matt Mistich it to kind of, uh, I don't know if I say run script pipeline, but it's kind of you know very prominent script pipeline, and is a really good friend of mine. He had tweeted something to the effect of, "I just read a script that made me gasp out loud," uh, and I can't remember that when that's ever happened. So I DM him immediately. I'm like, "What is this script? Tell me more." He's like, "Oh, dude, it's amazing. It's called." Cool. He said it was just, it was it was a script, and everyone in his company was just buzzing about it, and just like, "You have to read this." And so that was, I was like, oh my God, yeah, please let me, let me, meet, meet Daniel, just because, you know, I, I, first let me read it and then go from there. But that was definitely, it was something that had this insane impact on Matt. And I was like, and when someone you're very close to and who reads a lot of scripts has like that kind of reaction, again, that like just your antenna just kind of goes up.
0: So, and Daniel, I'm assuming that you had some attention based on the reaction you got from, from, cauliflower, what was it about, uh, Bellevue that made you want to sign with Bellevue as opposed to any of these other, uh, uh, companies that had approached you?
12: Yeah. I mean, I think it was definitely like, just like that kind of taste and the ease in the mm-hmm. conversation. Like when you meet people and you sort of try to just see if you share similar you know, goals and have a similar sensibility and kind of like a lot of the same things. Like, I don't know. I mean, that seems everyone I talked to about this process, you know, or people, friends who have gone through it. And you know, that was always kind of what they emphasized. You know, you wanted to feel like there was like a level of trust. And then you wanted to feel like you just got along with them and that you could see yourself taking feedback and sort of, you know, growing and collaborating with them in some sense. So yeah, it was a, a combination of those things. It just seemed like the right the right call
1: mm-hmm. yeah i would say you want to feel like you could email this person or call them at like 10 o'clock on a friday and be like look i know it's late i know i'm so sorry but i have this question and maybe it's a dumb question you know certainly with your managers with your agents uh, you know but with your managers that sh- they should be the people that you're not afraid to ask a quote-unquote dumb question you know mm-hmm. and that's what you what you look for and you know i always tell people when i meet with them i'm not like yo i'm the best person for you in the entire world Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but you need to determine that and you need to find that person that you would feel comfortable having that relationship with.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I do want to do one more round of questions for everybody, for all of our writers here. Uh, but I, there's a question from the live stream that I did want to ask because I think it's it's sort of relevant for our reps. Um Ashley Vong said, curious if these scripts, uh, I'm assuming the blacklist scripts, had anything special about them that made the reps, you guys, want to do a blacklist push for those scripts specifically. So my question to uh, Kate, John, and Zach, in in terms of your specific clients, because all of you guys here are represented by one or more of the assembled reps, um, in particular, what were... Well, one, what is the sort of push? Now, I know, John, you and I have talked about it briefly. Uh, that you sort of do. Uh, it's not necessarily an Oscar campaign per se, but um, it has a lot of similarities. But yeah, there is there is an aspect to it. So, what was it about these specific scripts that uh, that made you want to push them in particular?
1: Um, and know, what, and what do you do? It's interesting. So there's like the, there's two kinds of scripts that are here uh, of, of the assembled clients. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them in the case of Brian and Alex and Daniel are script for my for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um are scripts that literally came in and maybe we give a couple of notes here and there, but they are pretty much ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then there's stuff like Sophia and Chris's scripts, which were kind of designed from the jump to they were already pre-existing clients and they were designed, hey, this feels like a script that we could get on the blacklist. This feels you know this feels like the kind of thing that that lands there um you know i would say in the case of chris and sophia's because those were somewhat designed for the blacklist is you know we knew biopics are popular we also felt like rocky ioki was an amazing person the hufflepuff script it felt like one of those scripts that if you like harry potter this is a rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead spin on that meets john hughes you know it felt like we were using pre-existing IP to our benefit, the same way that you're using Rocky Oki to your benefit Mm -hmm. or using Adon or using Shania Twain to your benefit. Um, And then in the case of um, Alex, Daniels and Brian's, those are originals, obviously they're not based on real people or already existing uh, intellectual property. And they just felt like really loud, interesting, very different, all three scripts are very different voices that people would really, really respond to. you know, and to varying degrees of commerciality, um, but people, I mean, look, one of the things Hollywood loves more than anything is finding a person who write, Diablo Cody, wow, you've written this dark Juno script, amazing, incredible, we'd like you to write the Barbie movie, you know, so taking people who have really original voices and then figuring out a way to kind of move them into more commercial aspects or take and and plunk them in. And so that's always, you know, sometimes clients want to do that, sometimes clients don't want to do that, but they're always looking for that fresh and original voice. Who, by the way, is cheaper than you know other people are, um, just because it's you're probably establishing as it was to like David Cap or something, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so they're looking for that fresh original voice. And i would certainly seen that with my previous clients. So of those two, those are kind of the categories. That's at least my my thought process. Um, Kate, what what would you say?
8: Um, definitely Shania. That one, that one. I was like, this feels like this is going to be a blacklist type thing just with the biopic nature and she's so well known. It's sort of like the well-known people like everybody in the industry is sort of interested in kind of reading those. Um I think with for me with like Brian and Lindsay, um with Brian I think part of it was he just got such an incredible response. I mean rightly so, because it's an incredibly written script. Um, but he just got such an incredible response to it. And so many people wanted to meet with him. And so I think when you start to see that buzz behind it, you kind of go, I think, I think people would be like excited about voting for him for, for the blacklist. Um, Sandpiper was not designed to be like a blacklist script that was, you know, yeah, I think, you know, I did go to Lindsay and it was like, it really interesting to do like a female heist. And she wanted, she, she it's like let's put it in a in a Christopher Nolan movie which is just like like so cool and and uh, you know she 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 didn't give herself enough credit but like she she wrote what i think is a very 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 complicated script in a very short amount of time like true world build building so i was super passionate just about taking that script out because it was so explosive for you know i think of a of a piece of of writing Um, and, and then it was just similar. like she just got a really good response to the point where I was like, I, I bet, I bet people would also be excited about voting for this. Um, and then same, you know, and then with Shania, like I sort of had an inkling that it would be the kind of thing. And then obviously when we started to see the amount of people that were buzzing about it. Um, yeah. And that, so that, that's really kind of like how those sort of came to fruition. It's sort of an intuition, you know? And then outside of that, it's not like we're like, you know, there's there's not like a secret formula. It's sort of like how wide. I think the other thing, too, is how wide are you able to go out the script? Um, you know, so like a horror film might have a harder time getting on the blacklist because there's like really specific companies that are you're going to send that kind of material to. But something like Shania, you know, or like the your samples or whatever, or even, you know, Sandpiper, like you can send that out to a lot of companies. And I think that's uh, a huge part of it as well. It's like you need a lot of people to read it to be able to you know, vote.
1: You have to get, if you, want, if you need to get X number of votes, you have to get out to, the two big things are getting out as wide as possible and getting out near the end of the year. And I know the second part very much because I've gotten burned taking out blacklisty scripts in March or April and then people forgot about them. The mm-hmm. so voting occurs in mid-November. So in an ideal world, you're taking out in September or October and then people have hopefully read the script and maybe met with the client before the voting. That really makes them stick. And and so we're we're always very transparent about it. People are like, there's, what's the lobbying? What's the secret? What's the pay for play for votes? Things you can't make anyone do anything. You know, there's no guarantee on any of that stuff. If there was, you know, it'd be a lot easier. Um, so you know, it's really just getting great scripts out into the marketplace and hoping people react. I know that's my thought. Zach, what do you think?
10: Yeah, I mean to dig into like this whole concept of a blacklist push because you know I think a lot of writers figure there has to be some scheme or whatever, right? And, and even, even writers like when they meet with us, are like, hey, you guys have had a lot of success in the past, like you know, like how are you gonna let get me my shit on the blacklist? Yeah, let me in. Like, what's the secret formula? And like, the reality is there's very little campaigning that's done. Like, I mean, I'm sure in isolated cases, you know, in the history of the blacklisters and people that have like done. You know, questionable things like we barely campaign you at all. Campaign like for
1: one script, you can't campaign for nine scripts. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. The level of obsession you'd have to do would be off the charts. Yeah, so and, it's, our, it's not and really our campaigning
8: about, too it's like. Hey, hey, remember, you liked this script. Remember, you liked yeah. this script. <laughs> if you feel like voting for it, you know, please think of it.
10: I, mean, I literally just sent out reminder. one email, one email. Yeah, just saying like, hey, as a reminder, like, here's By the like, Day of the Yeah, day of the book. Yeah, that, but but I also, was... also worth noting, like, we we don't pick and choose, right? Like, I had scripts on there that I was really passionate about on that email that didn't make it on the blacklist. Mm. And so the reality of the situation is it's about, like, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, like, in terms of um, you have to either design a script with the blacklist in in mind in terms of like having a good understanding of the types of material that have historically gotten on there or identify, you know, in the case of like for Daniel and Alex, in my case where, where they were, you know, fully fleshed out more or less by the time they got to us, identify the type of script and saying, oh yeah, this, you know, kind of aligns with historically the types of material that have had success in the past. And so it's less about like trying to manipulate anything not about that at all really it's more just about how in the same way that oscar you know the oscars october november
1: december yeah
10: but it's even more honest than that because like for the oscars like you can pay a million dollars you know for a giant oscar campaign and all of a sudden some little movie you know uh i mean this is more of a thing like back in the 90s right where it's like How did Shakespeare and Love beat, you know, freaking Saving Pride, Orion? Oh, it was a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But like, there's a great Oscar campaign that a lot of money was spent, you know, et cetera. It's not like that at all, right? It's literally just um, having an understanding of the types of material that have had success in the past and that people tend to vote for. And it's it's like, to a certain extent, genre matters. And to a certain extent, what Kate was talking about is really important in terms of knowing that there are certain genres that have, like to Kate's point, limited, limited, pools of producers that you can send it to there are certain genres or just types of scripts that are more broadly accessible right or relatable to producers that they're willing to take a look at it that's a part of it um timing to john's point that's a huge part of it right you take a script out in february people will have forgotten about it you know um but yeah it's it's really like organic you know um, and at the end of the day it's really just about the strength of the material and concepts that feel loud and exciting you mm-hmm. know like even something like Sophia script which has you know obviously pre-existing you know things behind it but like someone hears that log line and they're like i love harry potter like mm-hmm. i absolutely want to read that like that's going to be the first thing i we- I read in my weekend read because it sounds so exciting to me right and, and if it's so
1: bad, within five pages they're putting it away
10: yeah exactly but but it's really just about you know figuring out um what is the type of concept and log line an elevator pitch, right? Because those all tying together that on the other side of the table, executives, are going to be really excited to read. And that's really the secret. And I mean, together So yeah.
1: What's the one log line you put at the top of your pile just to kind of kick things off because you're excited to read it?
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And we have to listen to ourselves. So when we get a log line from some, we have to think if we got this, if we are on the other end, would the people be excited to read this?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to get back to our writers. We've talked about your scripts, your blacklist scripts. Congratulations again. Uh, we talked about breaking in, how you broke in, what your first jobs were. But now I, I want to ask questions because we're nearing the two-hour mark. We're at 745. So I wanted to to get some questions about you. And, and so my question to you guys, and I'll go down the list and ask you, um, but you can keep it in mind, your inspiration for wanting to do this like is it a filmmaker is it a specific film a tv show uh, a piece of ip Um, and then also what advice would you give to your former self your pre-blacklist writer self to sort of help you on that journey to to give you the confidence or help you along and make your 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 journey easier um, so I guess, uh, we'll start with, uh, let's see, Brian T. Arnold, Mr. Arnold, um, with your wonderful festive tree. Um, can you tell us what was your inspiration to become, uh, a, a writer to work in the industry and, and what sort of advice would you give to your, uh, younger self who's just starting his, his writing
2: journey? It's really hard to like pinpoint exactly when I knew I wanted to be a writer. Cause I, 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 like in elementary I remember in middle school, I turned in like a short story for a short, like a short story like class competition, and then my short story was uh was a sequel to the to the Naked Gun franchise. <laughs> like it was just like that was how I was. Th- I always thought of movies and and uh TV like first and foremost as like what I wanted to like to write, and then I, I'll, I'll say the first time I think I maybe started considering like this is maybe what i like i think when my case started kind of coming in and when i was like this is how i want to do things was um i think when scr- scrubs uh mm. on it like it, that that sort of rapid fire the way it could be like the fun like very funny and wacky and then like five minutes later just like making you cry and i was i knew that was kind of i don't know i hadn't seen a whole lot of stuff like that and i knew you know that was kind of what i wanted to try to do to people <laughs> i wanted to i wanted <laughs> to make them feel those things um and advice I would give myself, um, you know, I don't know. Like it's, I would just say just, it's not gonna happen. I guess maybe it's not gonna happen as fast as you hope it will, but you should work. And like the the work is worth it. Like everything that you do on the way to, you know a career in this is absolutely worthwhile. And it's how you get to this point. So um, just yeah, be patient and work hard and don't worry so much. <laughs>
0: Um, Sophia, how about you? What what was your inspiration for wanting to be a, a writer? And uh, what advice would you give to your younger self?
3: You know, I wanted to be an animator first. That was like my big dream when I was younger because I saw a Miyazaki film. I saw Spirited Away mm. and I was like obsessed and that was my whole life. And then I actually entered an in animation and it was really difficult. And I was like, <laughs> what do I really like about this? And it was a storytelling element. So that's when I really knew. And I feel like I just was inspired by like, music and like my friends and my dogs and all sorts of things. And I would just kind of like keep journals that turned into fiction that turned into scripts. So that was definitely like my desire to get into the industry. And what I would tell my younger self is, I don't know, I feel like I always felt kind of um, inadequate or like an outsider. Cause I didn't like connect as much with like the, the real cinema The real films you know Mm -hmm. like the classics the greats and you know in film school everyone would be quoting like french new wave movies and i understood that they were great and i i really appreciated them for that but it just wasn't like my cup of tea per Mm -hmm. se and i i love legally blonde and you know gossip girl and stuff like that and i would just say that honestly like that's valid too like don't feel like you're dumb because you like something or someone yucked your yum You know, even if you like reality TV, like that could inspire a script, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I definitely think I would advise myself that because I think I wasted too much time feeling silly for liking, you know, what I liked.
0: No, that's great advice. And that's cool. Um, uh, Lindsay, can you tell us what your inspiration was for wanting to become a writer and uh, what advice you'd give to your uh, younger self?
4: Yeah, I have always loved big dumb action movies. I was raised on like a steady diet of Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Not mm-hmm. that those are dumb, but also The Phantom starring Billy Zane, which is really stupid. <laughs> so, it evens out. Um and yeah, I guess you know, I spent most of my weekends during high school like watching TNT daytime television, which is super sad, but I saw the Fast and Furious franchise probably like 87 times. So, you know, um, Yeah, and I guess that segues into advice because I think I spent most of my early writing years just imitating and Mm -hmm. trying to recreate what I saw uh, on screen, which ended up with a lot of like very male oriented, like strangely sexist scripts coming from like an 18 year old girl. So, um, yeah, I guess advice just to like find your own specific point of view on things, because you have to imitate in order to learn, but then you have to like become your own writer in order to, to stand out to people. So,
0: Yeah, no, that's great. It's that second part that I think uh, newer writers uh, tend to have a problem with yeah. make, making that jump, I think. So no, that's great. Um, Alex, so can you tell us what your inspiration was for becoming a writer and what advice you'd give to your younger writer self?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I always wanted to, to be a filmmaker, you know, mm. to to really, you know, come up with an idea that traffics in ideas that, you know, I, I love an action movie as well. I mean, I love every, Rashomon was brought up, you know, I love mm. that film, um, but I love the new Dune, and the, the new Dune functions on multiple levels, you know, it's like, goth Star Wars, great, that's fantastic but then there's also like the level of commentary on the gulf war and spice being oil going into a community where you're uh uh, taking an asset from them without acknowledging the population um you know palestinian apartheid all of these things that like it operates as critique of Mm -hmm. without saying it so i always think of the spoonful of sugar approach with uh entertainment you know you incept people into kind of planting the seed today then becomes, you know, like, Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't invade other sovereign nations for, for uh, fungible commodities Mm -hmm. or, you know, Oh, maybe, you know, like um, nine to five, you know, like maybe we should, you know, collective bargaining, maybe that's something that we should think about, you know? So that's kind of always what I've wanted to do, which is, yeah. Entertain while educating, you know, like, you know, art is, the infection of an idea, right? It's like making people feel what you intended them to feel or Mm -hmm. what you're feeling. Um, yeah, that's always been the goal, but, um, Was there a specific
0: film or filmmaker growing up that triggered this?
5: No, I mean, I always, I always liked film. My mom loved film. My Mm. mom, uh, we'd go to the library and she'd pick out all like the old, um, black and white films you know uh, i think something about eve like i saw a lot of films like way too young i can't uh, i mean i think i shouldn't say this on a podcast maybe i should have. i think the first and second penis i ever saw was you and Burger, <laughs> which was <laughs> um what was the uh drunk with me that was train spotting uh spotting and mm-hmm. then no the first time actually was the velvet Goldmine. Sure. my mom was like yeah my mom was a big movie buff uh way back when and yeah i just liked film as a medium i thought it was so yeah it's it's it it man just like feeling what everybody intended for you to feel the filmmaker you mm-hmm. know what i mean um and to tell a story and to teach people things i mean different films do different things right but like the medium of film like sophia was saying um you know legally blonde has its own kind of um you know Aesop's fable kind of you know morality and that's fantastic and there's a whole generation of women that mm-hmm. are inspired by that and you know the whole the whole moral of that story is like don't let anybody tell you that you don't belong because of the way that you look because of the judgment of others mm-hmm. so yeah i mean all of that i think yeah filmmaking is something that i've always wanted to do. And, you know, I, you get busy, you know, when you have a career and something really has to like give or like, for me, it was a pandemic, you know, like, well, it was it was making I I got enough of a bug up my butt to make the short film. And then the reaction of the short film galvanized interest for me to write the feature version, which is very different, vastly different. It's a different story altogether. But I don't think I would have gotten there without that interest. So my advice would be it takes however long it takes quite honestly for you to hone the skills to um to be in the place to write the thing so don't force it you know this is my first screenplay so i mean that's great when it happens I'm, oh i wasn't supposed to say that but no, yeah no. so yeah but this you know um that's out the bag huh Cats
7: yeah. out
5: the bag. but like honestly like that it takes what it takes to like, wherever you are, you can't rush that process Mm -hmm. telling the story that you're meant to tell. Um, And if you're meant to get signed right out of USC, that's your journey. If you're meant to write, you know, make your first film at 50, you know, um, you know, Kurosawa, I think made his first film at, at 30. So like, you know, we all kind of have our own journey with all of that. So that's my only advice to everybody. Everybody wants everything now. And I Mm -hmm. think um, Brian was saying the same thing, you know, like you want it to happen faster. But yeah, you have to trust your journey. You also have to have something to say as a writer. Mm -hmm. You have to have a voice. It's not just about a great log line. And well, sometimes it is actually. But, um, you know, like if you want to really kind of tell a story and have a career you have to have a voice and that takes time takes i mean i, I love hearing um about Lindsay's journey you know writing stuff and it and to because you you mimic so much you know what i mean like the first iteration of um of black pill uh you know i was cribbing off of schrader you know what i mean people are like yeah well we don't people don't write screenplays like this anymore alex but there's so much text right right <laughs> so like reformatting that and understanding all of that stuff like um and imitating and all of that stuff so we all kind of come at it from everybody's story is different you know and um uh, i guess the other advice is just to really the sooner you can find writers that you like their work mm-hmm. um allow them to critique you allow a start a writing group like somebody tweeted at me and they're like well can you write can you recommend a script doctor and I was like honestly I I in the, t- the previous tweet I had thanked two friends who were very intrinsic into my in my writing process and they're Sean McConaughey and Avi Shai Weinberger and they are just like they don't pull any punches like I remember Avi just being like I don't get it like Mm, There's no character arc, there's no progression. I was like, Yeah, that's the whole point. Like, society. And like, we had a heated debate. (laughs) And he was just like, Well, I don't know if this is really going to work, Alex. And I was like, Okay, whatever. But the fact that he took the time and spent an hour on a Zoom with me to talk through his feedback. Was huge, and mm-hmm. I I love Avi I think he's he's a tr- tremendous writer, and I think he's fantastic. So, and, and Sean taught me everything I know about the format, the screenplay format. Um, so, uh, it's just great to find those people that don't pull punches with your work and t- challenge you to think about you know your script or your logline or. Your presentation in a different way mm-hmm. um that's that's the i think that's the best advice i can give anybody is to find those people sooner rather than later and and listen to them and even though like i was like you know whatever Abby, i did think about it and we talked about films and comps for it and i watched all those films mm-hmm. and it really kind of strengthened my resolve in the other way but like that was great but that that's I part of it I, too right absolutely yeah. absolutely
0: um so jessica what is your inspiration what was what was your inspiration for becoming a writer and and what advice would you give to your younger self
7: um writing inspiration i mean there's been so many movies or tv shows that have had a really deep impact on me but um as far as like the most single thing i'm right there with sophia that was harry potter i was like that had was i that is the one thing that like swept me away so completely in a world um you know at a very formative age um so um and then advice to younger self um as many have said before me maybe just like know thyself like i think when i very first started i knew i wanted to write but I was maybe flailing a bit, not even sure what I even wanted to write, and like it seemed there were so many options. So I mean, it's all part of the of the journey of finding your voice. But I think really paying attention to what you like and what you can do, I think, really helps like make a breakthrough.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we hear that term thrown around a lot, voice, and it's something that's sort of amorphous in a sense. Uh, how did you? rediscover your voice how did you realize okay this is what my voice is because so many n- n- newer writers emerging writers they don't know what they don't know they don't know if they're there yet they don't feel like they have a voice or they're mimicking as uh, uh, I think it was Lindsay was talking about mimicking other voices to try to figure out try to, to, to have a voice it's not their voice but at least it's a voice you know what I mean how did you find your voice
7: um, that's a really good question. I feel like a therapist would give a much better <laughs> definition than I can. But I, feel, I think for me, it was like, like some stages of confidence, like, mm. like, um, I think I'd put like features aside for a bit, like I was pretty early on in my journey. And, and so I wrote some of these TV episodes, and I started to, I started to feel more confident and good about like, matching up with what I was writing Mm -hmm. and um that built my confidence to do a feature draft and I just started to notice like you know uh just a bit more of an inner instinct of like yeah of of just story and like I I think that like I can I can put a lot of myself into this and and just having more of an intuition about that I think just developed over time
0: Mm -hmm. no that's great And, and it's in terms of your confidence building and, and, and doing it, was a lot of that due to feedback that you had gotten from other writers, writers, groups from contests and competitions, validation. How did you get that validation that, okay, I'm on the right track. I found, I think I found my voice or was it just all internal?
7: Um, I think some of both, like I didn't, I didn't really do some, um, I didn't really do like contests. Mm -hmm. I have, I've been in some writers groups over the years and um i think those were more helpful for like developing um or for like, for feedback and notes and um more like the technical uh, stuff but mm-hmm. um yeah i think it was a combination of like so i was i had this job on this show and i i wrote some scripts and the the show was still standing and, and i got you know some more scripts and right. wrote on some more sh- like freelance after that so i was getting some good feedback there and um and meanwhile just yeah also internally like you were saying Mm -hmm. just with every script feeling stronger
0: no that's cool yeah um and so chris what was your inspiration for becoming a writer and uh what advice would you give to your younger self
9: yeah i've definitely had a lot of inspirations I, i think one through line looking back at a lot of uh formative uh, influences Mm -hmm. were films that had very strong musical components Uh, you know Mm -hmm. I had a really musical upbringing so like Amadeus was a film that I was just like blown away by Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet that soundtrack just like stayed with me for a month Uh, even just straight up musicals like uh, Sound of Music I mean it was just like those were some movies that really kind of like influenced me. And I I think that in terms of actual people, Ang Lee as a director, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing him, I was like, wow, I could maybe do this. And uh, I did think that I might be a film director first, Uh, but like Wong Kar Wai, Ang Lee, uh, other Asian directors, they really kind of paved the way in kind of giving me confidence that I could like move into this business and industry and do something. in terms of um, advice, I feel like everyone's already given such great advice and like Alex was giving just like dropping like pearls of wisdom and every time she said something I was like, ah, I was going to say that. Oh, uh, But great advice, um, I would say probably that uh, for a while it it took me a while to kind of figure out my writing routine. Um, and I think uh, the faster you're able to kind of figure out, you know, like how to write as a job, you know, so that you, you know, are doing it every day that you can and not just like writing whenever, like the muses come to you, hmm. uh, you know, the faster you can do that, the better off you can be. So.
1: Yeah, I no, think I mentioned sometimes the clients is like, you might have a, this kind of seems noxious, but you might have a day job, but your real job is to go home and do the writing. And like, that doesn't mean you have to do it every, if you can do it every day, great. Like, I don't want people to beat themselves up because you end up in like a cycle, but that is the real job that you have to do. And, you know, and that's by the way, how I ended up a manager is because I was was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I couldn't do that. So I'm like, maybe I'll just tell other people to do it. (laughs) But yeah, what Chris said is so true and I never figured it out. So I and
8: and I, I'd say, too, that my three three clients who are on here, they put in the work.
1: Mm-hmm.
8: You know, it's like the truly my more successful clients are the ones that are like constantly at it, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: The thing, one of the things you look for that I, people ask me what I look for in a client, I say talent. It's obvious. That's why you read this. You read the script or you read their sample and you meet with them. And then the two other things are their personality, you know, ambition, like who they, how they are interact with you they don't email you after a week saying i guess you didn't like it or whatever um and then and also drive Mm -hmm. you know because you can be the greatest writer in the world and i've had some clients who are phenomenal writers but if you write one script every two years or two and a half years it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough
0: right um chris uh so uh you mean will oh will yeah sorry um we just finished with Chris. Uh, Will, what is your inspiration uh, for writing, and what advice would you give to your younger self?
11: Yeah, uh, I feel like what Chris was saying earlier about like not feeling not represented and, and not. Mm. Seeing, I think that definitely is a big motivator to wanting to write. And I think especially, I I've had I'm Korean, but I, I grew up in Hong Kong. I lived there for seven years growing up, and then I also have family in Korea. And so I think there was always that disconnect when I would. Be living in Hong Kong and visit America, or when I visit family in Korea, and you're consuming Asian media, where you're just like, wait, like there are just a bunch of Asians in this TV show. Like, what the hell is going on? And and just realizing that it's like not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that. So I think that wanting to feel equal to that, but in the states, in my in my home, Mm -hmm. I think is something that was always really there. Um, But I feel like it was people like watching people like Ava Duvernay, watching people like Ryan Coogler, who I think are people who are so beautifully able to weave their cultures into their stories that they tell without it having to take over the stories that they tell. I think is something that I definitely aspire to as a a writer. And then on top of that, I'm just a big fan of their careers and the ways that they've able to cultivate their success into platforms to reach back and uplift others in the next generation and bring through more people from their communities along. And I think that's something to me that like is, is always going to be a goal. I think that's something for me in my advertising career, always wanting that mentorship, that manager, that someone, that VP to kind of who looks like me understands where I'm coming from and never, never having that mm. through middle school, high school, college, working life. And I think the opportunity to try to provide that for someone else, I think is something that I care a lot about is why I tweet those manager threads or why I try to share as much transparency from this weird ass journey. Um, Will I love as, far as that like every
1: that. single day, you're, you would tweet represent ma- representation matters today. I love that man. I love that. It's just because I'm thinking of you guys. I'm just thinking about Bellevue. That's what the <laughs> I'm thinking about
10: every day. <laughs> uh,
11: but no, I think it's because yeah, it because uh, it does, it does, and I think that's something that's that's the way I want to see the the world through. Um, as far as like advice, I yeah, I love I love what everyone's saying about like, yeah, just like what you like, like own it. And I think there's nothing wrong with liking a goofy movie be and also like getting like Parasite like I can like both of those movies with the same breath that's okay
6: right um
11: I I think for me growing up I had a very especially when it comes to creative work I had a very fixed mindset about things I think I had a very like you either you either have talent to write or you don't have talent to write like that's it and and I think growing up most of my life I thought I I just didn't have that I didn't have that like god-given skill to do something and I think what kind of changed my mind about that was just learning more about like embracing failure, embracing failure quickly and as fast as you can and getting and thinking of learning in terms of feedback loops and really just try. You fail quick, you learn, and then you just iterate again and again and again and again until you get it. And the faster you can do it, I think the quicker you'll have success um, while at the same time do it at your own pace and at the way that you feel comfortable for. But I wish that's something that I like 15-year-old me had heard of because right. i think that was something where i was like wow if i don't but if i don't get an a plus on this then like what's the point of trying and so i just wouldn't try a lot of the time mm-hmm. and i think that's something where i wish i'd been like hey you can just jump and fall on your ass and then you'll just get back up like you'll just get back up again and then you'll just try again and so i think that's something that i would really i wish i had taken to heart
0: a lot a lot earlier you're right um daniel inspiration for becoming a writer and uh what advice would you give to your younger writer self
12: um yeah you know i don't know there's a number of i, I guess like initial inspirations i've been thinking about listening to everyone else you mm-hmm. know share their answers and you know i think um i it's funny i saw west side story this weekend and i was like thinking a lot about like the early spielberg movies mm-hmm. that i got very obsessed with like just you know because it's kind of like if you like movies as a kid, then you start to like read about them more. And like, that's one of the first names you're going to see. And then I just, you know, sought them out pretty obsessively. And like, you know, and I was, you know, went and saw AI, and Minority Report in theaters. And like, you know, like, so the the ability to go see like a new Steven Spielberg movie is still like just so exciting and such a thrill. And like, I think a lot of those movies from that time period, that kind of like late nineties, I mean, like AI and Minority Report were a little after 99, but like that time was such like, it's like, you know, the matrix Sixth Sense, like being john malkovich fight club like that time there was so much like excitement around those movies and i think they had left such an impression on me like um when i was kind of getting into different stuff um so yeah it's a wide range of that stuff and then i don't know as far as the advice goes um i uh i don't know i'm like again everyone gave really good responses and i there's like a, i feel like i'm last so i'm like i should have something novel <laughs> to say but <laughs> i i don't especially and like i'm like I I feel like I'm like, I wonder wonder what I could say to like a younger me that would not like just make me roll my eyes and be like annoyed at future self or something. (laughs) Um, I think I would mostly just be like, you know, I don't know. This is, I mean, this is like trite but like, you know, be kind to yourself, right? Like, I don't know. I think that's a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to try to succeed at these things. And like, I definitely do that. And like, I think like trying to remind yourself to like, you know, be a little gentle with yourself or be kind to yourself is often helpful if you're like feeling stressed out about things, which again, like I don't have a mastery of this at all. So I feel uncomfortable even giving this advice because I think it's just something I have to tell myself, you know, on a day-to-day basis anyway. But right. well, I
10: think that's brilliant advice that, that Daniel's given. And like, it's particularly astute in this business, especially if you're a writer, I mean, or if you're an actor or certain other positions as well, where the business is rejection, right? In comparison to other jobs even in comparison to other you know jobs within the arts right like this is a job as a writer in particular where you're going to be told no like far more often than you're going to be told yes even when you become a successful writer you know and so being kind to yourself and being comfortable with rejection is such an incredibly important skill to have so daniel i echo that i think that was really smart yeah
1: yeah i I mean one thing i was thinking about a lot i was gonna try and put into a Twitter thread, but I just couldn't figure out the right words is, and no one, people don't talk about the emotional labor of being a screenwriter. And I'm not just talking about putting words on the page. It's, it's in the sense of going up for an assignment and you don't get it, and then you got to move on. And then that's work's just gone. And you're writing a screenplay and it doesn't sell. You know, you do this thing and it doesn't happen. You go for the meeting, you have three meetings in, and then they don't, whatever the thing is, there's a lot of emotional labor um, that goes into the screenwriting and, and as Zach pointed out, it, it never really goes away. You know, I've talked to and, and, and had clients work with you know really A-list screenwriters and it's always surprising to meet these A-list people and they have often had the same kind of anxieties that someone who doesn't even have an agent or, or a manager does. You know, And I, I think that is one thing. I think people think that once you get on the blacklist or you get a manager or an agent or you sell you for screenplay, that it's easier from that point onwards and And in a way, I I sometimes find it harder for people because, you know, they think that it'll be easier and it's not. And if anything, you know, you are faced with so much rejection. So many things can go wrong so many times. I mean, I remember talking to Zach with the novice and they had a different lead actress at one point and they were like two weeks away from production or something and it didn't work out. And, and, you know, and, you know, Alex was talking about having her short film and suddenly she had to start on it because the actor got a different job and, so many things can go so wrong with so many movies. I had a movie three, two, three weeks out from production. And then uh, the the studio heads changed and it died, you know? And, and and there's just so much rejection that goes into this. And so you really being kind to yourself and, and knowing that it's not personal is is a good skill to learn. And, and honestly, a good skill going forward because, you know, you, you hit these thresholds and you got to celebrate them, which is one of the reasons I'm so appreciate you having us on here, Kevin, is because because of the pandemic, there isn't gonna be a blacklist party this year. And, you know, I'm not gonna be able to see, you know, most everybody um, for a while. I mean, obviously, you know, would see, you know, Kate and Zach, et cetera, and, and some, you know, but, you know, to be able to see everyone here and, and to celebrate everyone's amazing achievement, you know, which is obviously for everyone been years in the making I just want to you know say that and then thank you kevin for having us on here because this is we can celebrate everybody here and, and all the amazing work that everyone's done and the amazing milestone and achievement is because you have to hit good because there's so much rejection when you do get a success mm-hmm. when you do get on the blacklist when you do write a great script when you do get a manager an agent or sell a script or whatever it's really worth celebrating and so th- thank you everybody for taking the time out of your schedule to get on here and and talk about it i it's so great to some people I haven't seen on zoom before. It's so great to talk to them and anyone who's listening to this either live or, or down the road. So much of what's been said is amazing. And I'm stuff I'm learning, learning from what everyone's saying. I really, really appreciate it. It's a, it's a really hard business and everyone has made a major, huge accomplishment this year. And I'm just so proud to be, working with everyone on the, except for Kevin, who I just love as a friend. Um, But everyone from Bellevue here to be working with you. I I hope you're proud of yourselves because you definitely deserve a a round of applause from everyone.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Congratulations to all of you guys. John, Kate and Zach for your hard work and, and your ability to, to find great writers and to William, Chris, Daniel, Sophia, Brian, Alex, Jessica and Lindsay. Congratulations to all of you guys for your achievement this year and in your, your, your talents being recognized. So that's great. Thank you all for listening and watching today out there. Uh, it's, we're just hit the two hour mark and I, I don't want to be that guy that keeps all these writers from, uh, their work for, for too long. Even if, if many of them would be happy to procrastinate longer, uh, I know how it is. So thank you guys all for joining us today. Congratulations again to all of you guys. Um, and thank you, John, for sort of setting the whole thing up. Um, it's always great to have you. i was awesome. talking
1: to Kevin. I'm like, I think we might get some scripts in the blacklist. Man, it'd be cool to live a little live stream. And uh, I mean, if I know it, it was nine, I don't know. That's a <laughs> we lot. We would have separated it into been a two long days. Live yeah, stream. I didn't think it was gonna be this long. Yeah, I'm gonna go eat some dinner. Yeah. But so, thank you, Kevin, so much for for giving us this opportunity to see everyone's everyone's faces and celebrate
0: them. Yeah, no, thank you, guys, and thank all of you for joining us today. And again, congratulations to all of you guys. And uh, we'll have to have you all back on individually at some point, or at least in a smaller group. Um, but thank you, guys, uh, and happy happy holidays, everyone. Because we're this is the last podcast of the year, last live stream of the year, and we'll see you guys in twenty twenty two. Happy holidays, happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, thank Thanks. you, happy holidays, thank you.
9: So. Hi. Hi. Thanks.